What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. But as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. It's time to preview all of the week 13 NFL action. Yes, it is. Thursday. That's Thursday. when we do this. That's what we do. It's what we do every Thursday. Um, if you missed it yesterday, I always love our Wednesday show. I understand some people don't have the time to consume six and a half hours of Steve and Sam content every week. I also understand that some people do. And they've been sending us their screenshots mm. from Spotify that they do. And some people listen to us three times per show, per week, or something like that. Yeah, I don't understand that one with <laughs> many, many times more minutes than I'm pretty sure we've uh, put out this year. I, I, do we on. have some, like, hidden secret content? I, I anyway, uh, yesterday's show was great. We had Ariel Hawani on to preview tonight's game, Bills and Patriots. And uh, all sorts of great discussions, like how to say y'all and uh, things like that. Mm. Russell Wilson party analysis it was you know it was a good wednesday show yeah so uh go check that out if you haven't already but for right now let's get into the rest of the action you're t um, i'm looking at our document here you said that i picked new england yesterday is that right yeah i don't remember that mm, pretty sure that's what you did no oh, i thought i picked buffalo go back and check the tape but I'm, I'm reasonably certain that uh myself and ariel i think you said i think you went opposite again you were like what i should you know or what I think is blah, 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 and then I'm going to pick the opposite. All right, well, we've By got By the way, I'm pretty sure that's what you did. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> if I miss a pick here and there. Let's face no. it, it's not putting a dent in your uh, no. 46 games under 500 record but, right now. But I have a new picking strategy. Back in the day when all we did was pick for pick watch, yeah. and we picked the winners, uh -huh. and I was annually top five, I would, just, I would spend about 30 seconds on my pick every week. I would just buzz through it, make my picks, and that's what I did earlier today. So all my picks are already done. First instinct, go. Okay. So this is the fourth uh, strategy you've attempted this year. That's right. And every single one of them has been a disaster. Week 13, fresh week. I'm like the, I'm going to be the Christian Watson of pickers. I'm going to give this thing a shot of just picking almost the exact opposite of what you do. And because apparently that's the strongest betting edge in the world. You this should actually year. throw some money down yeah. on that, you know, see how it goes. All right. So great week of action. Let's start with um, several games of the week, but the number one has to be the Kansas City Chiefs at the Cincinnati Bengals. It's a rematch of last year's AFC championship, this time in Cincinnati. Remember, the Bengals beat the Chiefs twice last year in Cincinnati, late in the regular season, and then, of course, in the AFC championship game. Quick recap on those two games. The first one was a great back-and-forth battle. Bengals hit some huge plays down the field and then essentially held the ball at the end of the game to kick the game-winning field goal. Didn't give Mahomes the opportunity for the game-winning drive. And then the second one, the Chiefs were up 21 to three at one point in the first half they're dominating and then one of the biggest second half collapses in playoff history and one of the weirdest ones because Patrick Mahomes looked like he'd never played quarterback before at times taking sacks throwing interceptions it was just really bad for the Chiefs and Mahomes and the Bengals did a great job scheming it up and changing things in the second half Bengals go to the Super Bowl after beating the Chiefs in overtime so Kansas City's favored by two here what are you expecting in this one yeah, and, and remember that that game was the, the Bengals sort of showing a regular defense and then dropping everybody out every play. Eight-man um, or three-man rushes, everybody in coverage, 
and it really caused the Chiefs problems last year. Um, now, last year, there were a few different types of defenses that gave them problems. That was one of them. The Giants, I think, had a very good defensive game plan when they played them. There were, there were a bunch of different teams that, that caused Kansas City some issues with confusing Mahomes with sort of taking away the deep shot, all sorts of flooding coverage type stuff. I don't know that that works that well this year um, because it's a different Chiefs offense, right? We don't have Tyree Kill. The main guy is Travis Kelsey. Those two operate in a very different way. Mahomes and Kelsey right now appear to be on this unstoppable pathway. Even if you do take away the deep stuff or you do force an adjustment in the play, those two are so good at ad-libbing and being on the same page that they find a way to make it work anyway. So, I mean, the first and foremost, I'm fascinated by what Cincinnati's game plan is going to be against this year's version of the Chiefs. And if they just replicate last year's game plan, does it still have any impact based off the differences between this Chiefs offense and last year's? Yeah, for perspective, last year, Mahomes against a three-man rush, three or fewer against the Bengals, seven of 15 with an interception. Everything was just was just poor. And I think if we characterize Mahomes and the Chiefs in their quote-unquote struggles, right, last year, it mm. was their worst year under Mahomes. Still wasn't bad, but it was their worst year under Mahomes. Their struggles entailed not being patient enough, not uh, in, in teams generally sitting in the, the shell coverage, the too high looks or three-man rush, places where you you have to take the easy stuff, right? You have to... In, and you're right. I think the Chiefs are different this year, right? They they have by far the most, uh, the the best offense from an efficiency standpoint. I know you could argue the Dolphins when two is in is they're right there, but the Chiefs have the best offense in the league right now. They've adjusted to the to the things that were thrown at them last year, and I assume they're going to have adjustments to the three man rush stuff that the Bengals pulled out in the second half of the AFC Championship game. So it's oversimplification to say, oh, the Bengals should just dust off the same game plan that worked last year. I think the Chiefs will be ready for it. And that's what makes football great. It's not as simple as do the same thing every time. So that's going to be a fun matchup. That side of the ball, how the Bengals adjust to the Chiefs and how the Chiefs readjust to what the Bengals are throwing at them. Yeah. Um, I, I also wonder whether Kansas City has the offense and can take advantage of Cincinnati's cornerbacks, which... Like the Bengals are, I think, sixth in the NFL, a pass rating allowed. They're, they've actually got a good pass defense in part because their pass rush is very good as well. Um, but you look at who they're playing at corner on the outside in particular. Um, you know, Eli Apple, Trey Flowers, like these are guys that are not playing particularly well, that are giving up a reasonable amount. The, the Bengals are just able to funnel targets away from those guys by and large. Now, is Kansas City able to take advantage of that and actually force those guys to do some defending deep down the field? Yeah, some of the injuries in the secondary for the Bengals could could loom large here. What about the other side of the ball? Um, Chiefs, so the, the Bengals last week, uh, throwing outside the numbers a ton. It was a lot of ISO routes on the outside with T. Higgins, um, and Higgins was winning. And we've talked a lot about his development these last few weeks, the trust factor with him and Joe Burrow. I really think that's going to bode well for them long-term. In the short term, Jamar Chase says he's going to take snaps you know he's going to be on a some kind of snap count we'll see what that what that looks like com coming back from the injury but it looks like I mean it should still be another big T Higgins type of game right for the for the Chiefs going uh, for the Bengals going up against some of those young Chiefs corners yeah I, I think that's a big element the other thing there are a ton of games this week where there appears to be a massive individual mismatch in 
the trenches, you know, offensive line versus defensive line. And what's interesting about Cincinnati this year is, remember right at the start of the year, they couldn't block anybody. Their line was a disaster. The, the money they spent in the offseason, it looked like a waste. The whole thing was collapsing. Um, but honestly, a big part of it was look at who they were playing. They, they, placed, they played a healthy TJ Watt in week one who absolutely wrecked them. Then they played Micah Parsons in week two who absolutely wrecked them. Um, and then they really haven't played another elite level pass rusher throughout the season except Miles Garrett in week eight. And they lost that game and didn't really score any points. So the three essentially really elite level pass rushes they faced this year have pretty much destroyed them. Now, I know they, they uh, played Pittsburgh again. They played the Jets as well. The Jets got good, but I would say you could argue, I guess, Quinn and Williams, um, but I don't think he was really playing at that level in week three. I think he's progressed as the season gone on. My point being, oh, and, and Jeffrey Simmons in week 12, but Jeffrey Simmons is not the same guy since he injured his uh, foot or his ankle or whatever it was. Since he's come back, he's had like three games in the 60s as opposed to 90s every single week. Um, my point being, they're facing Chris Jones this week, who is arguably the best interior pass rusher in the NFL this season. Um, he's been an absolute dominant force. He's the best graded guy at PFF. Chris Jones going up against Cordell Volson is a massive mismatch to the point where it could do what it's done the previous times Cincinnati have faced a guy like that this season and single-handedly change everything. Yeah, overall, the Chiefs' defense has been has been solid, right? I mean, they're... Uh, Top 10 is as a pass rushing unit. Number seven, coverage grade. Now, I think, like we say with all defenses, how much of that is is who's the, who they've played at quarterback. I think they've been helped a little bit by having, well, they, they faced Malik Willis on Sunday Night Football. So that's going to help the coverage unit. They faced, uh, wow, Bryce Perkins last week. Wow, yeah. good job. Good job for getting Bryce Perkins' name for a minute. Bryce Perkins last week against the Rams. Um, so... Then the Chiefs have also had decent games against Josh Allen and the Bills, not so good against Derek Carr, not so good against Tom Brady and the Bucs. So they've been kind of hit or miss, but I think a lot of it depends on Jones and, and his ability to dominate up front, get a little bit of pressure. And um, in recent weeks, yeah, the Chiefs have been better on the back end. So that should be a good matchup. I, both teams are good, right? I mean, they're solid defensively. Yeah. We know what they can do offensively. This is one of those games that comes down to bounce of the ball, lucky turnover here and there, third down conversions, and that whole deal. Yeah, I mean, Kansas City, I think, are still the benchmark for teams in the AFC to see how they stack up against them. We saw the Bills versus Kansas City earlier in the season. We're going to see Cincinnati now. Um, and can they do, can they repeat what they did last year and actually take it to Kansas City, beat them, and potentially steal their spot, essentially, in the AFC championship game? We are. You look at Cincinnati's schedule, there's no team in the NFL we're going to have a better read on by the time they enter the playoffs than the Bengals. They just knocked off Tennessee on the road. They're now facing Kansas City, the Browns with Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun Watson after a couple of weeks to get ready. Um, on the road at Tampa Bay, on the road to New England, against Buffalo, against Baltimore. Like that, wow. that is a run of teams. That is a run. That all is a of whom are going to be featuring, you know, potentially all of whom... I, I mean, Cleveland won't be a playoff team, but they might be playing at that caliber. Um, the Patriots might not be a playoff team, but they'll probably be playing at that level. Tampa Bay might be a playoff team, but might not be playing at that level. You know what I mean? Like, all these teams are relevant, and the Bengals are going to go on a gauntlet of all of them. You could go 3-3 three and three coming out of that, and it might the takeaway might be more like 
you're battle tested and you you went through the gauntlet you're ready for playoff football even though you just went three and three against um you got pretty rough schedule there so um joe mixon should be back from his concussion we mentioned jamar chase could be back Kadarius tony is back on the injury report with a hamstring we should track how many injury reports he's been on how many weeks has he been on an injury report with a hamstring compared to total receptions in Kadarius Tony's career I bet it's comparable Mm. but if he's out there they're dangerous the Chiefs I love their little stable of running backs because they can they can do damage in that short passing game but Jarek McKinnon also questionable so anyway where are you going with this one uh Cincinnati all right, my first instinct was Kansas City covering the two okay. in our home here, uh, right here in Cincinnati. So let's roll with that. Shout out to our friends over at Western and Southern. They're sponsoring the PFF NFL podcast. While you fo- focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you get started at westernsouthern.com slash pff not to mention powering the entire studio western the, uh, southern studio here with the little plaque on the wall i mean that's that's the most expensive thing in the studio the fancy metal plaque. it is it's really nice yeah and uh so do us a solid westernsouthern.com slash pff go check out everything that they have to offer because western and southern there are people here in cincinnati mm-hmm All right, so let's get to our next game. It is the Miami Dolphins at the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers favored by four. We know all the storylines here. We've got Mike McDaniel returning to San Francisco against uh, his mentor, Kyle Shanahan. These guys have been coaching together for years. McDaniel taking the league by storm because he's, you know, sounds like a real human being just talking to people. no, No coach speak with McDaniel on the sideline. They're talking about... You know, searching YouTube to see Tua, you know, they, they, a lot of fun quotes coming out of McDaniel, right? He seems like a fun guy. Mm. And um, he's got that offensive genius label that, that Kyle Shanahan has, and so far so good in Miami. This, this should be a fun one in the 4 o'clock hour. Does the, uh, the student become the teacher? That's, that's a great that's question. A question. That's a great question. Um, this a it. is a game, it, I'm, I'm few, few times you're going to see a game that rests so much on the injury report that isn't relevant to a quarterback. You know, Jerron yeah. Armstead, um, we've talked about this before. Like, Jerron Armstead is one of the best left tackles in the league, but I don't think he's ever made it through a 16-game schedule without missing some time. Um, if he has, it was once. And he's already missed time twice this season. When Jerron Armstead isn't there, somebody terrible is. You know, it almost doesn't matter who they put out there. It's a disaster, whether it's Brandon Shell, whether it's Greg Little, it's it's a train wreck. So uh, Nick Bosa plays in this game for the San Francisco 49ers. If Teron Armstead isn't out there, the Dolphins, I think, are in some significant trouble. I mean, they were on track to do what I said they were going to do last week and cover the over-under by themselves against Houston. And then Armstead went down. All of a sudden, two is getting hammered in the pocket. They end up taking him out, putting in um, Scarlett Thompson, consecutive three and outs. Like the whole thing stopped, ground to a halt against the Texans. Yeah. This is the 49ers defense and Nick Bosa. If Armstead isn't playing, I, I think that on its own means San Francisco wins. If Armstead does play and the current reports are, you know, all of a sudden he's looking a little bit better, he could play. Um, 
then I think we have an absolute fireworks display between what I think is the best offense in the NFL when everybody's out there healthy versus a top-end defense um, with all those, you know, undercurrents of McDaniel versus uh, Shanahan, et cetera, et cetera. So the official injury report has Teron Armstead as doubtful, and we don't see a whole lot of doubtfuls anymore, right? It's pretty much if you stepped onto the field at all, you're questionable in practice, right? If you practice at all, even if you miss practice, mm-hmm. you're, you're getting the questionable label. I forget exactly what happened where doubtful became uh, almost extinct, but Teron Armstead's doubtful, which is uh, worse than questionable. And uh, <laughs> It is. That, you know, so it's not looking good, but yeah, Mike McDaniel does say he still has a chance to play against the 49ers. But don't you think with McDaniel, with all the, the misdirection that they use, the play action, I mean, there's much like what the Chiefs did against Nick Bosa. We talked about how um, our friend Mitchell Schwartz said they did a great job against Nick Bosa, Bosa because they just gave him different stuff to look at. He's got to cover a jet sweep to his side, keep contained. They're going to boot action away from him to him, all, that, all those various things. Isn't that what you kind of have to do? I mean, the Niners have other players up front who are good and can be game wreckers, but Bosa is the game wrecker. And there are ways to kind of keep those guys off balance with misdirection and the various things that you can do offensively. There, there are, and the Dolphins are good at them, which is why the offensive line has been a lot better this year, not just yeah. a little bit better. Like, And they've like, still produced. Like, even those games where you had to have a Brandon Shell and all that stuff, like, they've still... When two has been out there and he's had his the backup tackle, they've still been okay. Yeah, but it is it does make an obvious difference. And also, like the the I worry about Tua getting hurt more than I worry about any other quarterback in the league getting hurt. He's small, he looks fragile, he's already been you know smashed into the turf multiple times that have caused problems. You know what I mean? Like if this was a different quarterback back there, and you were talking about removing his left tackle and replacing him with a turnstile. I would be less concerned because you're like, okay, he's going to take a beating, but he can get past it. As soon as you start raising the specter of Tua potentially taking a hammering from guys like Nick Bosa, immediately you're thinking, I mean, does he even last the game? That's the concern for Miami. And if he doesn't, you know, and it's Skylar Thompson, then all bets are off. Yeah, and and Tua's generally good. It's funny because he's good at avoiding sacks for sure. There's other times I do think he does take unnecessary hits. And, you know, so this is this is also a big game for me here, Sam. Oh, yeah? Tua versus Jimmy G. Of course. Those are my comps. Now, <clears throat> Tua's run right here with a 91.2 passing, uh, passing grade through nine games is a little bit better than anything we've seen from Jimmy G, but not by much. I mean, Jimmy G's first six games with the Niners, remember, he graded about 86. I mean, mm-hmm. he was in that range, right, of, um, wow, this guy's looking really good. And Garoppolo did it on a team that was terrible throughout – the 2017 season and all of a sudden they win six straight with him at the helm which is you know that the, the jimmy g conversation is just fascinating because the, the the niners have just been so much better with him under center he's got 16 touchdowns and four interceptions right even though it doesn't match his turnover worthy play ratio again this year that has been better um he's got a few more big time throws similar numbers as tua there's a lot of similarities there Tua's playing better right now he's, he's hitting uh, he's just hitting more throws. He's not missing nearly as many throws, Tua. Um, but I think they have similarities in style, right? Quick release, they'll get rid of it. But every now and again, hold it too long or put the ball in harm's way, and they got to cut down on those types of plays. By the way, door number three for the Toronto Armstead thing is, you know, he could play, he could not play. He could also play and be so limited with the busted up uh, pack injury, right? Yes. That 
it's not actually that much better than Brandon Shell being out there at left tackle. Like that's the third option. True. So an injured Toronto, I'm still trying to block three potential alternatives here, two of which are a major problem for the Miami offense. So um, Miami's offense has been absolutely incredible. The 49ers defense, they're they're a weird one because they spent for a few weeks. They looked like maybe the best defense in the entire NFL. And then they ran into some injuries. They had two duds against the Falcons and then the Chiefs, right? I mean, it's against the Chiefs where they, they were a little banged up, the the Niners, but the Chiefs just owned them. This was the best offense in the league beating up one of the best defenses in the league, right? Juju Smith-Schuster running through the D and then the whole thing, 44 points for the Chiefs in that game. But again, since that point, the Niners have played the Rams, okay, <laughs> the bad Rams, the Chargers, the Cardinals with was that with Colt McCoy two weeks ago? They went no, that was against Kyler. No, yeah, it was Colt McCoy. Sorry, Monday Night Football. And then the Saints last week who struggled. But the Niners with defense coming off a shutout and looking much better in recent weeks. So it should be a strength and a strength versus strength matchup. Niners and Dolphins here. It's also going to be interesting to see whether Kyle Shanahan has any better insight in how to stop this unstoppable offense. That's what I was going to say Than next. anybody else, yeah. you know? I, I feel like, and I, again, I don't, I, I, there's a lot of feelings I have that don't get backed up by the data. <laughs> this one's a tough one to look up. Or in fact, the results. Well, the results. Yeah. But I do feel like when there is a matchup of familiarity, familiarity with, the, with your old offense goes a longer way than say like a defensive coach who happened to, you know, know the offense. In other words, Mike McDaniel, so but they both have this, right? Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan both know each other's offenses inside and out. They know the looks to give you to make you check at the line. They know your tendencies. They know pretty much everything about each other. So it's going to be the team that has either new wrinkles or you know stays one step ahead schematically that's going to be better because it's such an advantage, right? That was the John Gruden in the in the yeah. Super Bowl, right? Where he knew everything that the Raiders were doing, right? So he's calling out the plays and the adjustments and Bill Callahan's Raiders couldn't do anything. I'm going to sound soon these those references are going to sound dated. Oh yeah, not not yet. Not yet. No. I mean that was just 2002. That was just right. 20 years just ago. Just 20 years ago. I mean I mean Chris is dropping AFL references in the uh on Sunday night football. Yeah. <laughs> it went deep into the archives, you know? So we still have time. I could still reference the Super Bowl from 02. Anyway, that's going to be fascinating. Both offensive coaches knowing everything about the opposing offense. Yeah, I mean, Miami's offense has looked like a cheat code this season for just wide-open receivers every single play. There's no better coach in the league at at least understanding how to stop that than Kyle Shanahan. Now, again, whether he can do it or not is a different matter, but nobody is better positioned to understand how to slow it down. All right, man. We've got four points for the Niners. Made me feel like I'm going Miami here. I think that's too much. Uh, then I'm going San Francisco. Just because I put my picks out there first, you can't just take the opposite of me every single time. Why not? Apparently doing that makes you the most successful picker in, in the world this year. I will, reg- I will positively regress to the mean someday. Really? After 12 weeks and three different methodologies, I don't see any evidence of that happening. I said the Christian Watson of pickers. Late breakout here. Okay. But you haven't started the breakout yet. This is the week. 
All right, uh, let's tell let's tell everybody about our friends over at Prize Picks. First off, you're, you're going to want to go to the Prize Picks app or PrizePicks.com. Sam, tell them all about what you're looking at this week. Yeah, love Prize Picks. A great way of playing um, daily fantasy. You can make these uh, sort of parlay entries of. Uh, assembling yourself an, a nice little uh, ticket to run with. I have made one this week that has Ramondre Stevenson getting more than four and a half receptions. I think that's a mortal lock. Patrick Mahomes getting less than 300.5 passing yards. That's the uh, the projection for him. Give him less than 300. Yes. Against really? the Cincinnati defense. Okay. And then Austin Eckler getting more than 48 and a half rushing yards. So you there make your uh, make your little uh, entry and you can select the uh, the kind of you need to hit all of them, or they give you a little wiggle room. You can still get yourself a win by kind of going each way, like the uh, like the horse racing. All right, I love what Prize Picks is doing. So you can download the app or go to PrizePicks.com, sign up, and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code PFF PFF1. Sorry, PFF, the number one. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks, Prize Picks gives you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. So don't forget to enter promo code PFF1 at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100 at the Prize Picks app or at prizepicks.com. All right, another really good game here Tennessee Titans at the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles favored by five and a half. Little AJ Brown revenge game, of course, against the Titans. Um, We've talked a little bit about the Titans. Maybe, yeah, they, they lost a tight one to the Chiefs on Sunday night football with Malik Willis, a quarterback. But the Titans haven't really beaten any good teams now that were uh, 13 weeks into the season here. Just coming off a tough loss against the Bengals. Can they take it, the Titans, to the 10-1 and Philadelphia Eagles? Look at you just hating on the uh, Titans again. Never, just, never giving them any credit. Just spitting facts here. Spitting facts. Um, so... Green Bay couldn't come close to stopping Philadelphia's run game last week. They just got run all over. That was the difference in that game uh, by a healthy degree. Tennessee has the second-best run defense in the NFL by yards per attempt this season. Only the 49ers have allowed less. So Tennessee is at least better equipped to slow down what Philadelphia does and force them back to the passing game, which I, th I still think is a bit of an unknown since they lost Dallas Goddard. You know, we know that if you force Eagles to pass early in the season when they've got all of their weapons, they, they can still do that and absolutely cook. I don't think we have as good a handle on whether that still functions at the same level without Dallas Goddard there. If it's quote unquote just A.J. Brown and uh, Devontae Smith and Quez Watkins and they don't have that outlet over the middle. So Green Bay weren't even able to make them do that we never really got to see what would happen if you forced them into a, an uncomfortable situation i think tennessee should at least force them into that situation and then i think it becomes interesting a 31 run defense grade for the eagles as a team last week against the packers other way around the packers run defense no the you decided to switch to talking about the eagles run defense yeah okay I was just saying the Eagles the Eagles struggled up front last week and they're going up against the Titans running game. Yeah. But the Titans I know the so, Eagles ran like crazy last week, yes. Yeah, okay. I'm just saying the the Packers also ran well. The Titans run the game Eagles. is weird though because usually run games are a product of having really good run blocking and you know everything functions. The Titans have the worst run blocking grade in the NFL. They are averaging the lowest um yards per uh, yards 
before contact per attempt in the NFL. And Derrick Henry... Wait, the Titans? Yes. They don't have the worst run blocking grade. They're very bad. No, they're not. You just and, look at the offensive line? Yes. Oh, as a team, they're better, though. And Derrick Henry is averaging 85% of his yards after contact. Yeah, in previous years, so the, the in previous years, the Titans' offensive line was like top five. Yeah. Top, top five run blocking, bottom five pass blocking. Mm -hmm. They're still pass blocking at a similar putrid level, but <laughs> the run blocking is poor. Where did they finish in your rankings? Do you know where they... Your O-line rankings? They're way down at the bottom. They're way lower than they should be. Uh, yeah, sorry. I was I was pivoting to the to the Eagles' run defense because of the whole... The Titans are 31st now. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I mean, the, the, what, what has made the Titans successful, and I know we say this every week, but it is winning the situational game, right? Like winning situational football in the red zone and executing. Last week, they didn't execute in the red zone, and they lost, right? That was literally the difference because... The Titans don't have A.J. Brown. They don't have that game changer that they've had previously. So they have to put together these long drives. Now, against a team like the Broncos, you have a, a nice flea flicker in there. You have a busted coverage in there. And you could create some, some, some big chunk plays. Last week, you get a jump ball to Traylon Burks, who makes a big play. You get a, a big screen pass to Derrick Henry. You, you're going to need a few more of those, I think, in this game against the Eagles. And then when you get into the red zone, have to execute like the Titans have all season. I was bringing up the Eagles' run defense in part because Jordan Davis is back from injured reserve practicing, but he's I don't know if he's going to be ready to play yet. They replaced him with Dominican Sue, Linval Joseph. That worked two weeks ago, right after those guys were signed against the Indianapolis Colts. Wasn't as good last week against the Packers. And now you have a Titans team that, whether they've had success or not this year, it's still their M.O., right? They still want to run the ball and use oh, Derrick they Henry. will run the ball. The problem is, we saw last week, that you can stop their run because it's not built off sound fundamental blocking. Like, their offensive line is bad this year, run blocking. So if you just stay disciplined, play gap sound defense, get everybody in the right place at the right time, you're going to have guys in Derrick Henry's pathway in and around the line of scrimmage. And if you can just get contact on them, it makes it very hard for Derrick Henry to do what he's been doing this year and rack up, you know, a million yards after contact and bust all these tackles. So you saw last week, like the Bengals just dominated up front, didn't give him anywhere to go. And on what, 17 carries, he got 38 yards and broke two tackles because as good as Derrick Henry is at breaking tackles and getting yards after contact, he needs to get moving before that happens. You know what I mean? If he doesn't have a chance to get going anywhere. So 38 yards last week, uh, rushing 47 of which came after contact so on average he's being hit behind the line of scrimmage yeah. by like half a yard like he needs more than that he needs running room to be motoring before he gets hit so he has a chance of busting through a tackle and getting yardage yeah that's gonna be that's gonna be a tough one i think if they if they don't block better up front i, yeah. I just don't know if i trust like the Eagles have had one of the worst run defenses, EPA uh, per play allowed in the whole thing all season, even with Jordan Davis out there. So I think this could be a game where the Titans do get the run game going a little bit more. Tannehill has to make his plays. You know, he's been he's been hit or miss throughout this season. Was awesome a couple weeks ago when we saw him against the Packers. But I think the Titans will run the ball much better in this one. I think they'll be able to play their game. The other the other matchup I love is just the head coaching matchup, Nick Sirianni and Mike Vrabel. I mean, when we We've, we've given Vrabel a ton of credit here over the last couple of years just because 
he wins when it doesn't look like he should win, right? It doesn't look like the personnel's there and they find ways to get it done. Sirianni is getting to this point where just running double-cheek QB sneaks and things like that, right? I mean, you're finding edges. You're, you can tell that the Eagles are finding every edge, whether it's in the front office. Um, we'll love what they did from a team-building effort this offseason, things like picking up James Bradbury after the draft and not losing comp picks. From a front office standpoint, all the way down to the head coach, the Eagles are doing the little things well, right? Evolving their defense, um, trying to get the big dudes up front so they could play coverage more and play the run with with fewer bodies. Like all the stuff that the Eagles are doing. So I think Sirianni versus Rabel is just a great matchup of maybe. I mean, we'll see. We have to see more from Sirianni, but he might be on his way to being a top five NFL coach based off what we've seen this year. Yeah, I mean, he's doing a great job. So I'm loving this matchup. I also think when the if the Titans can't run, I do think they're done. Yeah. I mean, the 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 Eagles pass rush, it's been their Which, strength for the last yeah. seven or eight years. It's and, still good. And to be fair, that's been the same story for Tennessee for a long time. But I think the difference this year is it's built off. It's built on sandier foundations than previously. You know, yeah. they, they were able to run the ball because they were really good run blocking and they had Derrick Henry. So stopping that was really hard to do. Now... Derrick Henry's still doing what he does, but the blocking isn't. So all of a sudden, it's a lot more fragile for them and, and a lot more attackable if you're a defense. Danico Autry, who's uh, leading the team in pressures, he's a big loss. They didn't have him last week against the Bengals. He's questionable once again. Jeffrey Simmons has been playing banged up, and he's questionable. That's what's also going to make it difficult. Like, the Titans need to be able to win. they got to be able to win up front against a really good Eagles offensive line. So all that said, right? A lot of things point to the Eagles in this game. They're favored by five and a half. Isn't it going to be a you know, 13 to 10 game into the fourth quarter here? If Tennessee can do that number against Philadelphia's offense and you know force them to the pass game, cause them problems that way, I don't know if that's a guarantee, though. Like the, the difference between the two teams is, number one, Philadelphia has the number one offensive line in the NFL and has had all season. Number two, they have um, Jalen Hurts, a quarterback, who's playing better than Tannehill and I think is able to do more now as much as Tannehill is a mobile quarterback. He's athletic. He, he isn't Jalen Hurts. Um, and they have like just a greater passing threat across the board because they have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and you know all these other weapons. So it's a 13-10 and 10, 10 game late into the fourth quarter if Tennessee's defense plays out of their mind. I don't know that that's a given, though. All right, man. Where are you going in this one? Philly. Because I took Tennessee and you saw that. It's a big part time. of it. Yeah, I believe in Vrabel and Tennessee keeping it close again, especially the five and a half. They'll at least keep it close. I don't know if they'll pull off the win, but I like them. Is it going to rain or anything? This just feels like it should be a weather game. <laughs> it feels Eagles. like it should be a yeah. weather game. Someone give me a weather report here. Well, Eagles and someone in the chat. We can uh, take a look at the PFF app and we see that it's 40 degrees, four mile an hour winds and cloudy. Oh, wow. It's right in there, huh? Uh-huh. It's right in the app? Yep. So you never let me have my phone on the table. Well, it's because your phone buzzes every three seconds and it pisses people off. And by people, complaint. I mean me. Just you. Well, and people listening. Look, yeah. at that. Look at that app. There you go. See? It's got weather in there, too? Uh-huh. Well, that's fantastic. So I don't have to go to weather.com to get my weather when I'm looking for ga at the no. games. Well, that's great. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, PFF app. Go check that out in the App Store. PFF app. I'm going to keep it right here with me. 
All right, let's go. Uh, another great game. New York Jets at the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings favored by three. And you get the nine and two Vikings, the seven and four Jets. Both teams, both teams have their doubters, right? I mean, the the, the Vikings are, uh, you know, the point differential and the whole thing doesn't scream nine and two. The Jets are, they haven't been this good this late in the season since 2015 when Fitzpatrick was YOLOing up to Brandon Marshall every single week. It was great. Glorious. It was, it was a beautiful season for the Jets. So uh, uncharted territory for the Jets in a good matchup. Second straight matchup against the AFC East for the Vikings. They just beat the Patriots by a touchdown last Thursday night on Thanksgiving. What are you looking for in this one? Yeah, another interesting matchup of uh, a good pass rushing team against Minnesota's offensive line and pass protection generally. Um, I, I don't know if Darasaw is going to be back for this game with his concussion. Um, if he doesn't, you know, Blake Brandle. I think Brandle's okay as yeah. a left tackle. He's not Darasaw, but he's not a complete and total disaster. His major problem was when he got his start, it was against Dallas, and, or not a start, when he came in for Darasaw, Initially, it was against Micah Parsons in Dallas, and that, like, that's just nobody's. Like, Darasaw was wrecking, Dar or uh, Micah Parsons was wrecking Darasaw, and then the next week, Andrew Thomas. So, of course, he was going to beat up on Blake Brandle. But I think generally, Brandle can hold up okay. But across the board, like, the Jets are ranked fourth, I think, right now in pressure rate as a, a defense. They're also the least blitz happy team in the NFL. So, the Jets and the Bills have really good pressure rates and don't blitz a lot at all. So you could make an argument that they essentially have the best front fours in the NFL. Um, they can get pressure across that front four. They can do it inside, outside. That is going to stress Minnesota's pass protection. What do we expect from Mike White now as well? So last week, he was fantastic, right? Ran the offense, hit open throws, didn't miss much. Well, based off your numbers, he's on the way to the Hall of Fame. Oh, because he's got the, uh, he's only got four starts. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the only guys to have 300 plus yards and three touchdowns in two out of four starts Patrick Mahomes, Kurt Warner. Who else was in there? Uh, somebody terrible who, Austin. Oh, Austin Davis. Yeah, 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 there you go. Yeah. So this is the pivot point. But there's a number, you know, the way like all these numbers are like, you know, somebody goes looking for the right formula for the data point that gives you the thing, the sure. record, right? Yeah. So there's, there's a way of framing it. I, I forget what it is, but it's the 300 yards, it's some touchdowns, maybe there's an extra thing in there as well, but whatever it is, there's a way of rejigging that that gets Austin Davis out of it. So it just becomes Mike White, Kurt Warner, and Patrick Mahomes. Oh, see, that's, that's smart. Then that's he's guaranteed smart. to go to the Hall of Fame. Yes. I was going to say, this is the pivot point where we learn if Mike White is going the Austin Davis route or right. if he's going the Mahomes-Warner route. <laughs> the next start is the crossroads between Hall of Fame and out of the NFL. Pretty much, yeah. That's like when people, because I've been, uh, I don't think Cam Newton is a Hall of Famer. I've said that before. And people are like, here are all Cam Newton's records. And there's like, he's got 29 NFL records. Like the first 15 are like most passing yards through one game, most passing yards through two games, most <laughs> passing yards through three games. Like nine of them are most passing yards through X games, uh -huh. which of course matters zero in a Hall of Fame discussion. So anyway, this is all fun times. Um, last, last year, Mike White did have a similarly awesome game in his first start 37 for 45 for 405 three mm -hmm. touchdowns against the Bengals he got hurt in his next start against the Colts and then he came back against Buffalo and threw four picks and graded at 46 right so it's not like we haven't seen a very good game from Mike White before um, but we've seen a very good game and then we've seen him you know just kind of come back down to earth before in his four career starts so is this uh, back down to earth game 
I don't know. The Vikings off the Vikings defense was giving up all sorts of wide open throws to the Patriots, who have really struggled on offense. Mm-hmm. That was Thanksgiving last week. I think the Jets might be able to have similar success with their offense. Yeah, I, I think they will too. Like I don't, they, the, the Vikings defense, I don't think is great. They cause teams problems on specific plays, and it's one of those defenses where, like, can they time those for the right high leverage situations and get off the field a few times? Um, like Harrison Smith has done that well. Zadaria Smith leads the league in pressures, um, despite not like necessarily being the most dominant pass rusher in the league. He gets a ton of them. I haven't actually looked what the breakdown is, but um, he gets so many of them from that inside alignment where he basically lines up in a two-point stance, almost like a linebacker, you know, mugged up in, in the B-gap, I guess, and charges right at the guard. And then ten, they almost all seem to be the same, where he basically charges right at the left guard and then cuts inside him, you know, and ends up shooting through an A-gap. Um, like he, who did they play last week? Vikings? Patriots. The Patriots. Yes. No, 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 the, uh, the Jets. The Jets played the Sorry, no, the, yeah, the Patriots. Like Cole yeah. Strange. Cole Strange gave up four pressures last week. They were all to, to Zadarius Smith. Yeah. And three of them were the same move. Like three of them were that exact move where Smith launches at him and then dives up the inside, gave up a pressure right up the A-gap. Um, the Jets' offensive line has been, you know, dealing with its stuff this year. They've not been great. They've not been great on the interior. Zadarius Smith will probably be a factor in this game. Can he time those up for those right key third down plays? We might also not see enough of this, but when we do, it'll be fun. Justin Jefferson and Sauce Gardner, when, when and if there are some matchups there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So how the Jets try and defend Justin Jefferson will be fascinating. Um, Sauce Gardner versus Jefferson will be great. I mean, DJ Reed has been pretty awesome this season as well, so that, like, that's fun in, in itself. Well, that's been one of the stories about the Jets generally, right? It's both corners who they got this offseason, one free agent, one number four overall draft pick, helping to transform that that entire defense, right? Mm-hmm. They're outside corners and the fact that they, those guys have been so good, Gardner and Reed, that you want to attack the middle of the field a little bit more against the Jets. Yeah. And the Vikings do that pretty well. They have the, the ability to do that. Cousins been a little bit more aggressive with um, TJ Hawkinson in the lineup. Um, Cousins, another fascinating case, right? This was his... His worst season statistically, his worst season from a PFF grade standpoint, and his best season from a record standpoint. And by the way, they'll also move Justin Jefferson inside, and it won't be either of those guys covering him because neither of them end up lining up in the slot essentially ever. So if they do manage to, or if they do intend to move Justin Jefferson away from Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed and line him up in the slot, then he goes up against Michael Carter. And that, I mean, Michael Carter's not playing badly this year either, but. He's not playing as well as DJ Reed or Sauce Gardner, and you don't really want him covering Justin Jefferson. All right. Can Mike White keep it up? Can Cousins move to 10-2 and two as the starting quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings in this one? I'm leaning Minnesota. Okay. I'm going Minnesota. I'm going Mike White regression in this one wow. against the Vikings. And the Vikings just beat the – at home, just beat the Patriots by seven. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the Jets are a better team than New England. Well, they certainly weren't with Zach Wilson at quarterback. True. But maybe they were. Could be completely different. I White. mean, on the other hand, man, the, the Jets' offense is different when, you know, Garrett Wilson has passes to catch. Yeah. And Elijah Moore. I mean, they you start to see what they're capable. Imagine if they had Hall of Famer Corey Davis out there. He was last week. Yeah, but, you know, he's not. not he's still banged up, you know. Imagine okay. if, like, healthy Corey Davis. 
you know? I mean, that would move the needle at least, you know, 0.00. Completely completely change it. All right. Where are you going in this one? Opposite of me. I think the Jets' pass rush causes problems for Minnesota, and they they cover. All right. I'm taking Minnesota, so we're still going. We're opposite on pretty much every game so far. Mm, You'll find that's a theme throughout the rest of this. Good for you. You guys have heard me talk about them before, but our sponsor Symbol has their best offer yet for new users. Symbol is offering a $500 risk-free deposit for new users who join the stock market for sports. When you sign up with the code FOOTBALL, your first deposit comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you're hesitant on joining or simply haven't yet uh, joined yet, now you can with a risk-free deposit. As a reminder, Symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks and even earn cash dividend payouts when your teams win. Symbol is a peer-to-peer market that took the thrill of sports betting and turned it into the stock market to give fans a new way to speculate on your favorite pro and college teams. Now you can join with a $500 money-back guarantee. So download the Symbol mobile app for iOS by searching S-I-M-B-U-L-L in the App Store and use code FOOTBALL to get your risk-free deposit up to $500. Whether you want to invest in an up-and-coming team like the Jets, you're, you're really buying into the Jets. You could do that here in Symbol. If you're just going to keep it, you know, play it safe with the Eagles, the Bills, or the or the Chiefs, you could do that as well. So Symbol allows you to buy and sell team stocks and profit from your, your sports knowledge. So the code's football and search S-I-M-B-U-L-L in the App Store. All right, where are we going here next? New Orleans Saints at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Bucks favored by three and a half. This is your Monday night football game. So it's the third straight year Tom Brady's Bucks have faced the Saints in primetime at home, and they've scored a total of three points in those first two games mm-hmm. at home in primetime. So almost certainly the Saints are going to shut them down once again. It's ridiculous. I mean, that was crazy too because the Bucks have had one of the best, if not the best offenses in the league over the last two years, and the Saints – Shut them down. Yes, with a good offense. Right now, the Bucks are struggling offensively. Anyway, man. Also, by the way, just think what this would do to this division if New Orleans manages to pull an upset, or not even an upset. If New Orleans manages to win this, do what they do to Tampa Bay every year and shut down Tom Brady in that offense. All of a sudden, the Bucks would be five and seven. The the Saints would be five and eight. If the Falcons lose, they would be five and eight. And then Carolina's sitting there at four and eight right now. That like somebody is winning that division. <laughs> They're going to win. It's getting with really a terrible ugly. Record. It's getting really ugly over there. Uh, Bucks with. Uh, I mean, they they lost a golden opportunity. The one play away from beating the Browns last week. We've talked a little bit about Todd Bowles and his questionable game management once it got to seventeen seventeen last week, and they weren't aggressive. Bucks have to try something different here. It's always fascinating though that the Saints particularly in Tampa Bay, find their way to play incredible football, at least defensively, against this Bucs team. Yeah. Um, the Bucs did get over the hump, though, and beat the Saints in Week 2. Um, that was a 3-3 three to three game into the second half. Beautiful. And then things changed once Mike Evans and Marshawn Lattimore got ejected. Once they got ejected, Bucks passing attack opened up. Tom Brady hits a game winner to Brashad Perryman. And, man... We that said battle that, <laughs> between Evans and Lattimore. We said that coming out of that game. Honestly, that might be the best thing Mike Evans could do in this game is get them both ejected. Start a fight with Marshawn Lattimore. Get them both turfed out of the game. That helps Tampa Bay. Because Evans yeah. is going to get shut down by Lattimore anyway. Like you remove him from the game, all of a sudden, bad cornerbacks have got to cover still reasonable receivers for Tampa Bay. That helps. So that's my strategy. That's my game plan for this if you're Tampa Bay. 
Mike Evans, your mission is to start an absolute rumble with Marshawn Lattimore after play one and get get you both ejected from the game. Yeah, I think I think there's something to it. Marshawn Lattimore is questionable. He's he's been banged up, so we don't even know if we'll see him. But that honestly could just be the full difference in the game here. On the other side, the Saints. I mean, Andy Dalton's throwing the ball well, but it's you know it's one of those he's not missing a ton of throws. He's been fine, but we saw just what went wrong when the Saints tried to score points last week. There's a drop in the end zone. There's a fumble at the goal line. There's a there's a sack where Nick Bosa's you know timing the snap and getting an incredible jump. I mean, the Saints have one of those hey everything's going wrong on offense recently. They've also had a few good games where they've put things together. So I think. I think it's going to be a good matchup. I think it's going to be a good game. Saints are kind of the opposite of the Titans for me. I can't really figure them out. Like, they should be better. Um, Titans are winning games more. Saints are not winning games, but they're tough to figure out because they should be better, I think, in New Orleans. But they've just been so inconsistent defensively, inconsistent offensively, and there's two, just no real trends there. Two incredibly underachieving defensive lines. Um, like, nobody on the Saints is grading well from a pass rush standpoint they have one of the least effective pass rushes in the nfl where are they in pressure rate they're somewhere way down um and then tampa bay like vita vea is their best pass rusher and vita vea has a grade in the 50s at this point like he's not the guy he was last year either so neither of these defensive fronts are causing the kinds of problems that they should be um Tristan Wirfs presumably is out for this game with his injury, even if it wasn't as serious as it looked. Yeah, he got – did you see that play? Yeah, see what, yeah. ridiculous. Um, was it JOK that launched himself? Yes. Launched himself and essentially landed on the back well, of his Then got tackled by his ankles in midair, six feet in the air, and yeah. came down crashing down That's on right. Tristan Wirfs' legs. It looked like it was either a break or just a really bad – it's supposed to be a high ankle sprain, right? Three to four weeks. Yeah. Um, and Tristan Wirfs is a big man. Remember, Wirfs had an ankle injury last year. Because you talked about what if Armstead tries to play hurt for the Dolphins? What right. does that look like? Remember, Wirfs did that in yeah. the playoff game and lasted about five snaps when he couldn't handle a bull rush because his legs couldn't handle it. Um, so we'll see if Wirfs, Wirfs even makes it back, you know, this season or whatever. But he has gone this season 122 pass rushes between pressures given up. It's basically two games. Who's that? Worfs. Worfs, oh yeah. So Worfs averages a pressure every 122 pass protecting snaps. It's just, it's a really weird year because I think the Bucks are solid in a couple spots. Um, Donovan Smith at left tackle, he got whooped a few times. That was one thing I think I failed to mention on the Monday show. The key plays in the game against the Browns were just Miles Garrett owning Donovan Smith for sacks, on key sacks on third down. It was like the, the Bucks are just missing on a lot of other stuff our guy Doug Kide has an article this week you know what's wrong with Tom Brady if at all if anything and it's a lot of everything else right the receivers yeah, we, not being on the same page we said this before he like none of it blocks. is none of it is awful you know like you look at the sort of numbers or the where they rank statistically or in various other categories like there's there's the impression that everything in this Tampa Bay offense is terrible like people will tell you they have one of the worst offensive lines in the league and yet they rank like top 10. It's not a bad offensive line. Um, even Okay, even if it's, say, it's being helped by Tom Brady, et cetera, it's still fine. The line is not a problem. Now, it may be a bigger problem without Tristan Wirfs. But the point being, nothing is terrible. It's just that they, they time, they except the timing. The timing of the bad is the problem, not the level of bad. The volume of bad in every situation for Tampa Bay, whether it's receivers, uh, dropping the ball, running wrong routes, not making plays, you know, the Scotty Miller, whether it's Tom Brady's misses, whether it's bad play calling, whether it's the offensive line, 
none of it is terrible from a volume standpoint. It's the timing of it is, is insane. So they just seem to, every play, something is going wrong. And they can't seem to collectively, you know, get their stuff together so that they just don't make mistakes for a while and then do it. But it, the, the, the timing of it makes it feel so much worse than it actually is, or at least make the results of the volume of mistakes so much worse than they should be. Yeah, that's about it. So all that said, I mean, I think, I think we're going to see another low-scoring game yep. in this one. Bucks by three and a half. Where are you going on the? I'm, I'm taking the Bucks to uh, change the trend. That was my first my first instinct when I did this hours ago. Yeah, that seems silly. Um, between all the mistakes that they're making and the fact that New Orleans always beats Tampa Bay, I think they will cover a three and a half point deficit spread. Brady's going to ball out if there's a there's a Manning cast. He's going to want to look good in front of the Mannings. So the Mannings. So the Manning cast. Brady balls out, has his best game of the season in this one. Okay, they should okay. get him on the Manning cast like during the game. They definitely should. Definitely should. That, I mean, they're that, doing it to coaches. You might as well yeah. dial in Brady. Yeah, just got to execute better. They got I the, like the effort. Those phones in the sideline, you know, the ones that... They should. They should be able to phone hook in. Hook one of those up to the, the Manning booth. Tom, you just threw a tablet. What, what, what was wrong there? Hmm. What, 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 what happened there? Um, by the way, from like a game... Man, you made the point the other day, like Tom Brady just needs to like tell his coach we're going for it and stuff yeah. like that. I'm about at that point where I think... He should just take over. should. Like, yeah. I got this. Don't worry about it. It's interesting to me that one of the things Brady said when he went to the Bucs was, I've never played for an offensive coach before. And you had Arians. And not that Arians was, like, crazy aggressive or anything like that from a play-calling standpoint, but they attacked down the field, and Brady yeah. threw 40 touchdowns per season and all that stuff, and he's back to having a defensive coach who really trusts his defense that failed him twice in big-time spots last week. So yeah. I mean, we talked about it yesterday. Just that logic of, I didn't want to put the ball in Brady's hands because yeah. something bad might have happened. It's yeah. ridiculous. Todd Bowles has to make some changes and think, if my offense is struggling, I need to give them more opportunities and trust Tom Brady in these good receivers that we have to make plays at some point. Just, so, like, see if they change. Think of the number of Super Bowls that go somewhere else if that was the approach for the last 25 years. You know what? I just don't think we want to put the ball in Tom Brady's hands. You yeah. know? We'll just Bad play pick. for overtime. He could throw a pick. He could throw a pick. Something bad yeah. might happen. He's literally the best comeback quarterback both in, you know, volume, but yeah. also in, I mean, like, for start, Kyle for Shanahan, opportunity. Kyle Shanahan and Matt Ryan have a Super Bowl ring. That's one right off the bat, right? This is like, this whole world of what-ifs are different if if we take the approach of, you know what, Tom Brady might throw a pick here. I don't know if we want to... Uh, well, the funny... Well, that was Brady's that. first Super Bowl, right? 40-something seconds left. You yeah. need a field goal. No. John Madden's, oh, yeah, take a knee. You got to take, you know, you know, take it easy here. And rookie Tom Brady, or year one starter Tom Brady right. leads them to a field goal. Rams get another ring. Yeah. Yeah. 23 years later, it's like, oh, no. Can't do that. Whatever. 21 years later. All right, let's go. Washington Commanders at the New York Giants. This is the first time they're going to play each other. So you got two in these last six weeks here. Yeah. Um, five weeks, six weeks. Giants are getting two and a half. So the Commanders favored by two and a half in New York here. What are you looking for in this one? Without being, without looking it up, what are the, what is the points differential for both these two teams? Seven and four and seven and five. I think they're both similar, right? I'd say they're, Commanders are plus five and the Giants are minus 10. They are both negative. Minus seven for the Giants, minus three for Washington. Somewhat close. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. By contrast, Tampa Bay, where everything has gone to hell, are minus three. You know, and they're what, five and six? They're five and six, yeah. 
Oh yeah, I mean that's that's the NFC right now, right? Isn't it just a couple plays here and there, and you know, quirky yeah, I stuff. Mean, the other end, I mean Tampa. I mean, just looking at the Browns game, Tampa is literally one fourth and nine away from being six and five, and yeah, perception. And then you have like bit. Minnesota at nine and two with plus five. <laughs> yeah, but they're plus way better than that if you take out the two losses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you do all that? How do you, how do you handle all that stuff? So if you're into um, momentum or you know how things are trending right now commanders are on the way up giants are starting to fall back down to earth does that matter at all is that playing into the line well so we remember right at the start of the year i clung for a long time to this idea of the giants not actually being that good um but made the point that when you look at their schedule there's a lot of winnable games there and they're going to end up winning quite a lot by the end of the season now we've reached the point where it gets tougher and it might swing in the opposite direction for a while. So you've got this game against Washington, you've got Philadelphia, you've got Washington again on the road, you've got Minnesota on the road, you've got the Colts, whatever that's worth, and then you've got the, the Eagles on the road. So the Giants all of a sudden have to run through a gauntlet of some pretty tough teams and the division, um, which I think is going to cause some problems. It It is, I think, a fascinating matchup though, because the Giants are better than I thought they would be before the season, but the flaws that they have are still problematic and will cause problems against either good teams or teams that are good in the right areas. So, for example, Washington's defensive line, which is still really good. Yeah, you've got Andrew Thomas, but you don't really have anybody else, and Washington do. So even if Andrew Thomas can shut down Montez Sweat, well, who's blocking Jonathan Allen? And, you know, who's blocking Deron Payne? Do we have Chase Young back yet? I don't think so. Let me see. Chase Young, questionable, limited participant. No other notes here as of yesterday. No notes. Would be great to see Chase Young out there again. I mean, at some point, yeah. But you're talking about the weaknesses don't match up well. The Giants also have one of the worst run defense uh, grades in the NFL right now. That's where Washington's been having their success. Brian Robinson working, well, running the ball extremely well last week. He looks like he's getting better and better. Remember, coming, the guy was shot 12, 13 weeks ago. Twice. Twice. And made it back to the field really really quickly but he's looking better man looking like the guy that bama that was a tough runner um and he caught the ball out of the backfield pretty well the other the other week my whole thing with this is i don't think taylor heineke throwing up grades in the 50s every single week is going to work at some point at some point a quarterback grading in the 50s even if you're getting bailed out by terry mclaurin even if you have a pretty good run game even if you have one of the best defenses it is remarkable how at some point that catches up to you right <laughs> It it's has like, to. It's like your picks. It shouldn't be possible. <laughs> it shouldn't be possible. Um, and that's what's interesting. Like, you started this discussion with the point differential discussion. The only quarter. Which screams equal teams. Yeah. Right? The, the Similar only, teams, but the Giants are at home getting two and a half. The only quarterback in the NFL this season with a worse passing grade is Zach Wilson, who got benched because he can't move the ball. Taylor Heineke has a passing grade. Wait, wait, grade. wait. Maybe we're on to something here. Zach Wilson's five and two as a starter. Mm. Right. I mean, maybe if Taylor Heineke had played the, the Patriots twice in quick succession, we'd be benching him again for Carson Wentz. Um, but like Wentz, Wentz's passing grade is ten points higher. Well, don't tell people that. How many? What's the uh, Wentz touchdown pass uh, comparison to Russell Wilson now? He has more. Like he's got two more or something. He didn't. Play, he hasn't played since week six. 
that's what makes this whole season. I mean, I'm okay with my bad picks in such a weird season, right? Bad <laughs> yeah. passing quarterbacks or winning games. Like, nothing's matching but this up. Was the thing. We don't know who the best quarterbacks are because people are coming out of nowhere. This was my objection to the Ron Rivera thing of, like, why have we made the switch? Why well, he, he, he's won. He's just won games. Okay, but that – what if he just won games by accident? Like, has he actually been helping the wins? That's why I'm with him, though. Like, you know, I just, just keep rolling with it. I mean, it's in part because Wentz kept getting sacked and turning the ball over. Give me the, give me the, <laughs> give me his his big time throw to turnover worthy play. Oh, I remember it. It's like ratio. three to a eleven or twelve, right? Three to twelve. Three to twelve. Zach Heineken. Wilson's is three to thirteen. Right. And and by the way, Zach Wilson's attempted more passes, so Heineke actually has a worse turnover worthy yeah, play look, rate. This is our favorite weekly comparison. Here's Taylor Heineke. Here's Zach Wilson. What's the difference? Is the teammates like Heineke? The teammates hate Wilson. That's it. That's the difference in the two. Also, what's the difference in record? What's Heineke's record right now? Like four and one, five and one? Yeah. And Wilson's five and two. So the two worst quarterbacks passing in the NFL are like 10 and three as starters this year. Heineke's, Figure out this 22 NFL season. Heineke's turnover worthy play rate is almost double Carson Wentz's this season. Yeah. And his big time turnover. But Wentz's rate were actually becoming turnovers close. more often. Yeah. Again. So it felt like Wentz was throwing the, you know, blowing games. Yes. Right. Heineke beat the Eagles. <laughs> right? How can you argue with that? Yeah. It's going to regress at some point. I'm taking the Giants. Okay. Even, even with their banged up offensive line, the, the, the fundamentals don't make sense here. But we'll have Daniel Jones offsets that with like 80 rushing yards in the Giants. I think what I'm learning that in this do. weird season that doesn't make any sense is... Take the opposite of Steve. Well, take the opposite of Steve or roll with the things that you think are going to regress but never do. You know, Steve's picks at some point should regress back to the mean. They haven't, though. And until they do, I'm not picking with them. You know, flipping a coin should have drug you back to the mean simply by flipping a coin. This is going to do it. Nope. Didn't happen. You got one extra win by flipping a coin. So I I say roll with the chances and I'm going against you. I'm saying Washington's pass rush causes enough problems. They cover. They win. Right. Okay. Good point in the chat. Maybe our grading system's flawed and Heineke's just winning because he's a good quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's sure always possible. Exactly what it is. Except we have a very strong history of passing grade correlating to wins. I will... And so when that doesn't happen, there's there's probably some luck involved. Like the commanders having one of the best... I mean, look. So here's the thing. Here's the thing, too. The commanders, not even using our grades, number 27 in EPA per play. Like there's not a metric that points to a good passing attack from Washington. They're winning because of the defense plus a little bit of luck or even, however you want to Even Taylor Heineke doesn't think he's a good quarterback. Oh, jeez, man. I'm serious. You, you look at that guy's reaction after a game and he is elated because he knows there was not much chance of this happening. And he knows that he's living on borrowed time right now and he's just living the dream like I mean, he's fun. Living he's fun. exactly, but he's enjoying it way more than a regular quarterback does because he knows the gravy train is going to end and the gold paved road that he's walking Not down right year. now is about to disappear on him. Right. Whereas other quarterbacks are firmly like Matt Ryan. Right. Everybody knows the Colts stink, including their owner, which is why he fired everybody and hired his buddy. Everybody knows the Colts stink. But you hear Matt Ryan talk. He's like, oh, we're like a couple of games away from being back in the playoff hunt. And we can still make a run and I can get this team to the playoffs. Like, they are nuts, right? They're deluded and completely divorced from reality. Taylor Heineke is very much in tune with where he sits in this whole landscape and is acutely aware 
of the fact that he is not actually a great quarterback. So is it possible that the PFF grading system is completely broken and actually Taylor Heineke is a Pro Bowl caliber superstar at the position? I, I guess, but I would bet a large sum of money that that is not the case. However you want to then prove the fact that he isn't good, fine, but I mean, he's not. All right, let's move on. Cool. Colts and Cowboys, Sunday Night Football? Yeah. Sunday Night Football, right? Colts-Cowboys, Cowboys by 11 here. An unflexed game. It was unflexed. Unflexed. Yes. Do you see how bad? There was, there was like a lot of good games that could have been flexed. Russell Wilson is so bad that Sunday Night Football flexed out of a Patrick Mahomes versus Russell Wilson game. That's... That's the that's the worst stat on Russ this year, right? Forget how many points they've scored, Patrick and Mahomes, his grades or his who's stats. Like a you know a ratings mogul, yes, is being flexed away from because he's connected to Russell yeah. Wilson. That's worse than high knees on a plane. I mean, that's <laughs> Russ Russ stories. Although, so they're getting to the point of like Urban Meyer ish, but not nearly as right. It's Urban Meyer, but without without the sort of maliciousness to it. Correct. Yes. But it's at that level of like there's a lot of them and there can be real ones and fake ones that you have to try to sift through and you don't know the difference in the whole thing. Right. The the fact like the story that came out that Russell Wilson was training himself not to take a crap because that was, you know, wasted whatever. Passes the the stiff test, if you will. (laughs) Right. It's absolutely absurd on the face of it. And yet I think most people took a look at that and went, I, yeah, I could see that. I mean, that tallies with everything else. That matches with the high knees in the airplane. Sure. Like, that's how ridiculous the Russell Wilson stuff has gotten. Anyway, Indy Dallas. Hmm. My old roommate's the new Royals pitching coach. Good for him. That? You want to discuss? No. Swing dog. All right. Uh, who are we talking about? Uh, Indy versus Dallas. So Why this is, is Dallas another... not going to cover by 11? Uh, this is another one of those games where the one-on-one matchups have been talking about. Bernard Ryman has to try and block Micah Parsons. Yes. That's a problem. And it's another game where if Matt Ryan's under pressure against one of the best pass rushes in the NFL and the Cowboys, I don't think they have much of a shot. No, all of a sudden, this is I I worked on the basis of take the opposite of what you did, and then unless there's a compelling reason not to, all of a sudden I'm seeing compelling reasons not to in this game. This is a Dallas would have to beat themselves, right? We have a Colts defense that just allowed Kenny Pickett to have his best game. Yeah. Picking them apart. Uh-huh. Dak Prescott has had, he's had some struggles in the first half, but then the second half he's been much better in recent weeks. But they're finding their groove in Dallas, right? You've got Michael Gallup emerging, Jake Ferguson. They have other guys making plays. It's not just the C.D. Lamb show. For the last two weeks, you know, a couple of weeks ago against the Packers, it felt like maybe it was too much reliance there. I think they're starting to spread the ball around more. Dak's throwing it around well. They can run it when they want to, and they're going to pressure the heck out of Matt Ryan. Yeah. That's a lot that adds up. You might have to agree with me on this one. But 11 points, man. That's It's a lot of points. When was the last time the Colts didn't cover 11 points? All right. Worst passing grades under pressure. We do this every single week. Matt Ryan's up to sixth worst. Yeah. He's not good. The worst are uh, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence. So all your all your second round second year quarterbacks. So the Patriots loss was Taylor lost. Heineke, who just you know just wins games. Doesn't matter about his grades. Kyler Murray, and then Matt Ryan are your worst under pressure so this year. Matt Ryan's got three touchdowns, eight picks, eight picks 
lead the NFL by three. You look at the Colts' record this year, it's the sequence of one-score games, uh, a 26-3 loss to the Patriots, and a 24 nothing loss to the Jags. What about them? They're, like, it's a sequence of one-score games, either way. Oh, oh and then, those, and then yeah. those two random beatdowns. But even the beatdowns, the score never got out of hand. It just got to 20-something, and they, they didn't score, essentially. Yeah. I, ugh, I could easily see this being a game where the Colts offense scores three points. But if it isn't, they cover 11. The Cowboys, the Cowboys were also one of those teams that... Um... Last year, we started to get these vibes right around this season, right? That this is they're capable, right? They're capable of making that playoff run. Trayvon Diggs getting all his picks, and Parsons is rushing the passer more, and Dak is playing well. And then they kind of lay an egg, and then they beat up on bad teams. The Col- the Cowboys do a good job of beating up on teams that they should, though. So that's where I think that's why I'm leaning Dallas here. How how many we've had three weeks of Saturday, right? Yes, Saturday the coach rather than the day. Coach Saturday. Coach Saturday. Uh, in the three weeks of Coach Saturday, the Indianapolis offensive line ranks 20th in pass blocking efficiency. That's not great against Micah Parsons. Dallas have, has the number one pass rush. That's in the a NFL. massive improvement. Yes, yes, it is. They're up to 20th. Dallas has the number one pass rush in the NFL by a pretty healthy margin. Oh, God, I hate this game. Well, we'll get to all watch it together in primetime. Excellent. Come on, switch your pick. No, I'm sticking with I'm not being suckered in. You, I'm not doing it. Indy are going to cover 11. It's a large number of points. They're going to score more than three and cover 11. I'm not being suckered into picking with you. Perfect. I'll take the Cowboys to cover the 11. Los Angeles Chargers at the Las Vegas Raiders. Chargers favored by one and a half at Vegas here. The player, freshly named Defensive Player of the Month here in the AFC. Yeah, surviving your jinx. Yeah, I think we could get past it now. Dude's flying around making plays. All right, so these guys, remember they had the, the special game last year yes. at the end of the season. Special game with the game on the line. Was that in Vegas? I think it was. So it was the last time they played in Vegas. Pretty sure that's where it was. Um, what are you looking for in this one? Um, I mean, the usual thing for the Vegas offense, which is, does it function? <laughs> like, they, they've been trying to force feed the ball. Um, to Devonte adams sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't i just want to see some sort of uh like rhythm and consistency to that offense against the defense it's you know susceptible to it they had a good batch matchup back in week one remember they played in la 24 to 19 charges we didn't know much we didn't know anything about either team we thought the Chargers were a potential super bowl contender we didn't know exactly what to expect from the raiders other than hey they've got a lot of talents they're coming off a playoff appearance and you've got josh mcdaniels coming in with chandler jones and Devontae adams and the whole deal um for the raiders though last week we we talked about chandler jones finally you know putting something together their pass rush was the best they've had all year it was against seattle i think they might be able to, if, if they could replicate that against the chargers probably cause some problems here and then from a Chargers standpoint, every single week, it's like, can we get Justin Herbert over seven yards per attempt? Mm. Over six yards per attempt? Can we get him creating big plays like he's supposed to be? Every single week, asking us this, asking this question. Yeah. The other thing is that the Chargers' run defense is basically the same as it was last year, which is to say terrible. Yeah. Um, they have the worst yards per attempt allowed figure in the NFL. They're at 5.4, something like that. It's a couple of 
a couple of decimal points above anybody else. The Raiders just got done with a 300-yard uh, scrimmage day from Josh Jacobs. Like, Josh Jacobs should carry the ball 25 times in this game, and you don't need to force-feed the ball to Devontae Adams too much. Raiders with back-to-back walk-offs in overtime these last couple of weeks. We're going to overtime again in this one? Absolutely. Yeah, this yeah. feels like it, yes. This feels like can I Can I not score a Gami yet, but pick a score plus overtime? Okay. So Raiders are going to win in overtime again. All right. By three. So, okay, if you get if you get overtime right, how many games are we giving you? It's probably five for overtime and five, five for the score or something okay. like that. All right. So Raiders by three in overtime. <laughs> we'll say 27-24 okay. in this one. Uh, Jacobs has a calf injury. He's questionable. As does Brandon Bolden, a calf injury. Is that like the calf injury that I had when I was with the Mariners? Oh, yeah, a fake one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The manager asked me, hey, you're going on the DL. What injury do you want? Uh, we, usually give out, we usually give out a calf. Okay. So I'll take the calf. You should have gone with something more exotic. Like uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson with his lacerated kidney. Yeah. Those are just when you're trying to get signed again, the, you know, people ask questions. <laughs> it's a little calf strain. It's like, oh, yeah, that's not going to linger. Yeah. That's not going to pro- cause any problems. Lacerated kidney would be like, dude, get this guy out of here. <laughs> this guy might die on us. We, we can't. We can't sign him. So I'm just, I'm just wondering if it's a phantom calf or a real calf. I, okay. I just, I don't know. Yeah. But that'd be bad for the Raiders. Jacob's running hard. He's been fantastic. Devontae Adams is still having a good season. That's what's funny about Adams, right? He's having a good season, Sam. Yeah. It's just not a transformative season for his team's offense the right. same way AJ Brown working. and Tyree Hill have had, right? But I'm going to stick to the... He's third in the NFL in targets. It yeah. It doesn't feel like it, weirdly. Right, it's because again, it's, it's not about... I don't even know what Tyree... I know Tyree Kill has crazy stats. I don't even know what A.J. Brown's stats are. I don't even care. All I know is the Eagles' offense is much better. The Dolphins' offense is much like better. Adams, and the Raiders are the same. Adams leads all wide receivers in touchdowns. Quietly. Yeah, right? Quietly. He's, th- he's third in targets. He's this is what is interesting, right? Because sixth. if you had Darren Waller this entire time in a healthy Hunter Renfro... And then, oh, by the way, Mac Hollins is going to emerge as your fourth target behind those guys. Things should be working. Yes. For the Raiders. They should be working. I don't. So this is why I think it's night and day with what's happening with Nathaniel Hackett in the Broncos, because nothing about that offense is working. Right. Whereas the Raiders. Yeah, they've they've laid some eggs. They've had some bad, bad games in there, but they've had some good games as well. Broncos literally haven't had a good game offensively. So I think the Raiders are better than their record is what I'm saying. So okay. I'm taking them to win and cover in overtime. All right. Uh, I'm taking the Chargers because you picked the Raiders, although it's another one where I'm looking at it and don't have a tremendously compelling reason for it. Sound strategy. Thanks. I can't wait to see. Man, the Chargers actually invested in their run defense this offseason, and it's still not good. To be fair, some of those players aren't there. No, I get it. I understand. But I'm just curious. To, they're going to be in, just such a, an interesting team as far as offseason moves and everything already looking ahead hmm. we did a little free agent preview i do wonder the what daily. they would look like if you know they they sort of generally approach their defense the same way like if, if there was another jordan davis kicking around right and the chargers grabbed jordan davis and plugged him into that would that make a dramatic difference to what they're doing on defense if they just found some 350 pound two gapping behemoth that could man the middle for them 
he was the guy we things. he was the guy we were pairing them with yeah a, a lot. lot in the first in the first round but you know they could have made the same moves that the eagles did pull up linval joseph back to back sure. to the Chargers. Yeah, pull uh indomic and sue not that that would have changed things right. off ton but all right uh let's go pittsburgh steelers at the atlanta falcons steelers favored by one here People uh, high on the Steelers after their Monday night football win. Kenny Pickett's best game. Signature win. Signature win. Yeah. I mean, it's back-to-back dome games for Pickett. So you get the you know the glove glove in December. It'll be fine. Mm. The only pass rush that is less effective than Atlanta's is the Chicago Bears. So Kenny Pickett going to have all day yeah. to pick his passes and actually have success again. To George Pickens. Yes. Pickett's and Pickens. Pickett to Pickens, Pickens, no, Pickett to Pickens, Pickett to Deontay Johnson, Pickett to whoever he wants to. It's going to be a lot of passing in this game. They're going to have success. And then I think Pittsburgh's defense actually might do a reasonable job against this weird Atlanta offense that doesn't want to pass the ball. Yeah, Steelers' run defense is far better than it was last year. Um, their linebackers have played a little bit better. You st- yeah, you've got they've also group got, in the they've, got a, they've got kind of match-up players on defense. Like, you know, the way the, the, the Cardinals sort of assembled a group of matchup players, none of whom can actually match up with anybody. The Steelers, I don't think, have gone out of their way to assemble matchup players, but actually have quite a few that can do it. So, you know, TJ Watt is very good at being able to shut down multiple parts of an option at the same time, for example, on his side. Minka Fitzpatrick has the kind of read and react skills that can torpedo, you know, quirky plays with that stress uh, defenses laterally and vertically. The linebackers that they have might be generally underachieving relative to their talent level, but Miles Jack is a freak athlete. You know, Devin Bush is able to do stuff. Like they have the ability, I think, to match up with this Atlanta offense in a way a lot of teams don't. If you're looking for an individual matchup, uh, when and if you see Cameron Hayward against Chris Lindstrom, the uh, right guard sure. for the Falcons, Lindstrom's up to a 92.4 grade fantastic as far as run blocking goes and and that's what this atlanta doesn't have the best offensive line on paper from a pass protection standpoint but again they've protected these guys right they've protected them from having to uh to pass protect in the pure drop back passing game so um atlanta's run game i think will be challenged by the steelers run defense that will be a nice little matchup in this one the steelers put up 24 points Pickett, (laughs) Pickett played this really good game right and it still doesn't feel, you know, it still feels like they're struggling to put it all together. Like when your quarterback grades that well, they, there was a couple failed catches and drops and various things that hurt them. Feels like the Steelers should still be putting up more points. I think that's what's going to keep it close, though. Even the best game from Pickett isn't scoring 30 points or anything like yeah. that. It's going to be close. I don't think there'll be a ton of Hayward against Lindstrom because Hayward tends to play the other side of the line. But what it does do is put him opposite the weakest link maybe of Atlanta's offensive line, which Atlanta's offensive line, by the way, has been one of the like quiet surprises of the season. Another line that I think is definitely being helped out a lot by the scheme. You know, like Atlanta runs the ball oh, for 53% sure. of the time. It's like Chicago's offense. There's line. no true pass sets or anything yeah. in there. So they look a lot better than they would be if they were running a different offense, but they've been really good this season. Um, but left guard, I think, is maybe their weakest spot going up against Cameron Hayward, another position where, again, like Pittsburgh's defense could actually have an advantage and cause them some problems. Looking forward to this one. Um, Kyle Pitts has been placed on IR. Yeah, looks like he's done for the season. 
I really wonder if how what they feel about Pitts at this point. Fourth overall pick. If I'm another team, I'm calling the Falcons this offseason to see if they want to trade him. I don't do the Falcons want to play this brand of football, or is Arthur Smith just adjusting to what he has? Marcus Mariota is the quarterback. We're not going to drop back even 30 times a game. We're going to run the ball. But isn't this like it's like a variant of what they were doing in Tennessee when he had um Ryan Tannehill as the quarterback? Like it's not a million miles throwing from the what ball he's always wanted to do. Far less than they did. I know. But then. but isn't but it, it's not like this is a dramatic departure, you know? We're not sort of seeing, oh, I want to yeah. run this offense, but I have this guy, so I'm going to run a complete 180 and do something totally different. It's like, yeah, we're skewing more towards the run, but this is kind of the Arthur Smith offense, regardless of who the quarterback has been. Just saying, I would make that call. To me, the interesting see. thing, though, about this Falcons passing attack, <laughs> such as it is, is you take Kyle Pitts out of the lineup. Remember, everybody's already been bitching that they don't use Kyle Pitts enough. You take Kyle Pitts out of the lineup, you're like, all right, Surely now Drake London just gets all the targets because who else is left? And Drake London in that game last week had three targets. The the guy that ended up getting all of the the work was Zacchaeus. Yeah, Zacchaeus gets, had the big forty four yarder that put them into scoring range. There. Led the team yeah. in targets, catches, yards, yards per route, everything. Like he was the guy that became the number one option in that passing attack, not Drake London. And all of a sudden they're stable of you know, giant receivers. No, now it's speed guys and shifty guys. And <laughs> yeah. none of them are getting the ball. Yeah. Um, I'm going to Atlanta here to cover the, at home, cover the one. I think they'll, uh, I think it's going to be a close game is the point. And I like, I like Atlanta getting points here. I actually went Atlanta this time. And oh, yet, now, this is the first time you've agreed with right. me. Right. And yet now I think about it, I kind of like Pittsburgh. Yeah, go the other way. Flip it. I'm going to flip, flip it. it back. Take the Steelers. Green Bay Packers at the Chicago Bears. Packers favored by four and a half at the Bears. The owner of the Chicago Bears, Aaron Rodgers, has announced that he will play. Him and Matt LaFleur said he's good to go. X-rays were negative. So uh, a rare case where the owner gets to play against his team. Yeah, very rare. Uh, It's a joke. Okay. It's not real. Aaron Rodgers not really an owner of the Bears. Hmm. Self-proclaimed owner. Are we what are, are we getting Justin Fields back? That's a maybe. A maybe. Strong maybe. I think strong for sure. Strong maybe. Well, it's day to day for the rest of the year. Right. Yeah. Could be the end of the year. Right. Could be he's going to be questionable, of course. Matt Eberflus, head coach, said that Fields will practice in a limited capacity and his status for Sunday's game against the Packers remains unclear, which I'm interpret- interpreting to be Maybe. And Ian Rappaport has, has reported that he has partially torn ligaments in his left shoulder, which is, of course, every tear. You yeah. Know? Like, that's what a sprain is. That's what rap sheet's here for. So he has a sprained shoulder, which is what we knew when he was being carted off to the locker room, essentially. The other key part here is Kyler Gordon, the two, the two top draft picks from last year, Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker, a couple second rounders, both missed last week, and they're both currently still in concussion protocol, both day-to-day ahead of the Packers game here. So, I don't know. Aaron Rodgers could have 20 broken ribs. How many ribs do you have? He could have all of his ribs broken. He was going to find a way to play against the Bears in a depleted secondary this week. That's my theory. Yeah. Okay. Um, This is a – it's a fascinating game. Okay. Justin Fields being there obviously totally changes things. Um, But even without Justin Fields, they want to run the ball first and foremost. 
and we're fresh off a game where Green Bay couldn't stop the run to save their lives. Um, and Chicago's offensive line, I think, is like one of the things from last week that got answered a little bit or we got a little bit more clarity about was Chicago's offensive line held up really well, even without Justin Fields. So well, like the, the line is not a product of Justin Fields, you know, changing everything and all of a sudden, like the way it is with Lamar Jackson, where he changes the way the entire defense has to play and they don't rush as, uh, the same. They don't stress the offensive line as much. Justin Fields is not the reason that Chicago's offensive line was trending upwards. I think they're headed in that direction anyway, and they run the ball a lot better than they pass block. So, I mean, Green Bay's defense is actually not a bad spot for this Chicago offense to roll even without Justin Fields. So whether it's Fields or Simeon, I mean, we, they played way back in week two. Packers were coming off a bad week one game. That's what they do, right? And it was like, how, are the Packers going to bounce back? Probably. We thought they were better than they are. But early on, Justin Fields makes a few big plays. I think they got a, you know, slowed down the Packers offense for a while. And then at some point, the Packers were just better. Um, in this one, the Packers are just better. They're a four-win team, but they are just better, you know, on both sides. But if the Bears can, can slow the game down, play the takeaway game, run the ball, if it is Fields, then he's an X factor, right? And then it's like, okay, can the Bears slow down the Packers offense? The Packers offense, I still believe is potentially much better than they were even just three weeks ago this you know, they, they lost 31 to 28 to the cowboys or they beat the cowboys sorry 31 28 they only scored 17 against the titans but i think that was on rogers i think he just left plays on the table i mean that was a the the throws were there right early in the year the throws weren't there people weren't getting open it was a low percentage offense last week the packers scored 33 in a loss to the eagles including some jordan love you know big touchdown in there I just think this Packers offense has a potential to be far more explosive down the stretch because of Watson because of what Christian Watson brings to the table and opening things up for for everybody else so I like the Packers in this as long as Aaron Rodgers can throw the ball you know he'll be seems like he'll be fine I don't think he'll be in the same level of pain he was last week right if the Bears hit him early maybe that takes him off his game but he was he was throwing fine too, even with the pain yeah. the other day. Missed a throw, but you know, I think the Packers are going to be—they're just a better team, man. And I think they're going to be far better offensively than they were even just three weeks ago. They're definitely a better team, um, and obviously, certainly with if Justin Fields isn't playing. I think either way, though, Chicago can run the ball on this Green Bay defense. Like, yeah, if you go back to that first game. They, they averaged seven and a half yards per attempt. They did. And that, Green Bay had a 36 yeah. run defense grade. Like, that was the game that we said Justin Fields dropped back 17 times or whatever it was, and they were down the entire time. What's going on? And it was because the Bears just kept running it pretty well. Yeah. So if the, if the game doesn't get away from them on the scoreboard early, Chicago could actually have like a pretty good degree of success just running the ball right down their throat the entire time. And even if it isn't Justin Fields, a quarterback, as long as Trevor Simeon doesn't pitch the ball to the defense multiple times, they could actually keep this pretty close. Yeah, I'll take the Packers on this one. I get the Packers covering the four and a half. Whether it's Fields or whether it's Simeon, I just don't see the Packers. I mean, the the Bears slowing down the Packers offense here. I I it's I'm I'm really torn. I think this game flips if Fields is the quarterback. I think if Fields plays, the Bears win outright. Really? Yes. If Fields doesn't play, I think Green Bay might be able to squeak a cover over four and a half. 
I also think this buys one more week of Rodgers playing because we're they're going to stay alive, right? I mean, I really think he'll be the starter as long as they're staying alive. That was Rodgers' suggestion, and I think it's what the Packers want too. Rodgers is going to keep playing until until they're out of it. 37 degrees and overcast. This feels like... I want a weather game. I want some nice weather games in Chicago. No, the only weather game that I saw on a quick scroll was uh, San Francisco, interestingly. Rain. Well, that, yeah, that won't do much for those offenses. That'll be fine. All right, four more games to discuss here. Jacksonville Jaguars at the Detroit Lions. Of course, a battle of the number one and number two overall picks. It's Aiden Hutchinson versus Trayvon Walker in this one. The uh, Jags are favored by one here in Detroit. What are you looking for in this one? Uh, Whether we get Trevor Lawrence turning a corner again. It's time to ask the question, did he turn a corner? Not is he the top five quarterback in the NFL? Not is he already a Hall of Famer? Did he simply turn a corner and is he actually now okay? Um, Because last week I think has the potential to be one of those transformative signature games that changes his his entire trajectory in his career. Three but, straight really good games from Trevor Lawrence. Right, and last week was against you know a very good team, a playoff team, and was a real signature. Like change that whatever that ridiculous run was, 180 and or zero and 180 of winning games when you're entering the final minute down seven that Jacksonville had, had as a franchise. So now you have to back that up against a, a defense like Detroit's that has the second worst run defense in the league, that has a bad pass defense. It's just bad. If you can't do it now, it didn't really happen. It undermines last week. Detroit's been better in recent weeks, though. Made some changes in the defensive coaching staff. They've been a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, Trevor Lawrence's development, absolutely. He's in a dome. Nice and easy to throw in a dome. So that part's going to be fun. We could... uh, that's part of the storyline. Um, I want to give a little update on Aiden Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker because we can't spend months talking about the draft and not rehash it a little, at least a little bit as things are unfolding. Okay. Remember, during draft season, it, it did seem like Aiden Hutchinson was the slam dunk number one overall pick. It seemed like he was destined to go to Jacksonville. And then slowly but surely, there were rumors that they might like the athletic freak out of Georgia, hmm. Trayvon Walker, who broke the combine with one of the best workouts of all time. So the Jags decided to invest in the workout numbers over the production. So far, what we have here is Aiden Hutchinson uh, beating Trayvon Walker in PFF grade, 69.8 to 58.2. They've had similar run defense grades, uh, Hutchinson 65, uh, Walker 64.7, very similar. Pass rush grades actually kind of close as well, 57 for Hutchinson, 52 for Walker. They've both just had... A couple of nice plays as uh, in coverage where Trayvon Walker week one had that interception. Hutchinson now has two interceptions. That's boosted his overall grade. But from a just run defense and pass rush standpoint, pretty similar for both players so far. Hutchinson has 33 pressures to Trayvon Walker's 24. And Hutchinson has six sacks to Walker's three. I made this point at the or in the lead up to the draft, but in years where there isn't an obvious quarterback... Uh, to go number one overall, or for whatever reason, the number one overall team is not taking a quarterback, nor are they trading back. We default to offensive tackle or edge rusher. You know, those mm-hmm. are the positions we talk about going number one. And I was making the point of we should probably be talking about one of the cornerbacks going number one. Now, I was leaning on Derek Stingley right. more than Sauce, but right now, I mean, Sauce Gardner is the clear 
defensive rookie of the year and is dramatically more valuable than either of these two guys are oh my gosh yes. at this point um, so there's a little hindsight there but the, the thought process of let's consider corner yeah is not hindsight and right. not crazy and it's also early and right? i don't think I, it was ever really yeah. done nobody at any point had either stingley or sauce going number one overall it was either it started off as thibodeau thibodeau was the guy like a year out and then it became aiden hutchinson and then it be, when we, we flirted with the offensive tackles, you know, is Evan Neal going to go number one overall? And then it became clear that the Jags were zeroed in on Yeah, and why not? Trayvon Walker. And so the interesting thing is when, when you do have elite corners, they, there, are, there are some clear-cut top five corners, and they don't miss a ton. Corner is a volatile position, but you don't miss on consensus elite corners a ton. Now, it's early on both of those guys. But Sauce looks special. Yeah. Stingley hasn't done it yet, right? We don't know what's going to happen there yet. But when guys like the Patrick Petersons of the world go top five and everything, like they usually hit. They're usually safer. Jalen Ramsey, they go top five. So it's a volatile position. But when you get a consensus that this guy should go in the top five, it decreases that volatility. And again, when Hutchinson and Walker and Thibodeau come with their question marks, of all the years, this year probably should have been one where corner was considered a number one i think you were right and by the way respect. i think you can make the same argument detroit took less crap for this because you know once the jags had passed on aiden hutchinson it was like oh of course detroit is going to grab aiden hutchinson and, and celebrate and be, be thankful but you should probably have asked the same question like okay if if sauce or Derek stingley was worthy of consideration at number one overall they're still worthy of consideration at number two overall even with yeah. aiden hutchinson on the board and I don't think Detroit considered that for a second either. Like, they just went, right. great, we got Aiden Hutchinson, celebrate. And, and like I said, too, I, I know that the which team won the on-draft night, had the biggest, found the, most, the biggest impact player, it was the Eagles and A.J. Brown. Yes. And I think, it, but like the Jaguars would never, it's the same division and all that stuff, but if they had a chance to, to trade number one overall for A.J. Brown, and take his contract, I don't even think they would consider it. I don't think NFL teams consider that with the top five pick because it feels so valuable. But man, A.J. Brown, like I wouldn't want to come away with any other player but A.J. Brown. He would transform the Jags offense the same way if they had the opportunity to do that. So anyway, it'll be, it's always fun watching those guys. I think Hutch and Walker will both get better. By the way, Kayvon Thibodeau has the best pass rush grade out of that trio. Yeah. And he went from, this is what's so funny about the draft, right? He went from in the conversation at number one, as you said, to like, oh, there's no way. And it's you can take off, Kayvon Thibodeau number one overall. He's coming off his best game. Looks like he's trending yeah. in the right direction. But this is why all draft discussions are crazy because it's like in our head, it's like, well, this guy's clear number one and this guy's clear number two. And it, it's somewhat of a crapshoot once they get to the league. So don't be so confident in everything. Sauce Gardner. Unless you have my draft model. Yeah, of course. Sauce Gardner right now in terms of war is worth 10 times what the, the other two guys, the two edge rushers are combined on the season. Yeah. He's been better. Yeah. At a more that. valuable position uh -huh. once, you, once you hit on it. All right, where are you going with the actual game here? Uh, I think I'm, I'm backing Trevor Lawrence to back up his breakout performance, signature performance from a week ago, do it against the worst defense, and ascend. Yeah. Head in the right direction towards the Andrew Luck career he was supposed to have. There we go. Um, I could see that happening, but I'm taking Detroit, covering the one, because I know they went from winning three straight, they lose to Buffalo, but it's Buffalo, right? Took it them is. right down to the wire. 
against a good Bills team. So the, the Lions are still uh, still restoring the roar, as they say. So I'll take the Lions to cover the one here. Okay. Um, you cannot put you can't put notes on the Chicago. No, I, I could definitely do that. You can't put notes I on can. if Fields plays. It it's changes change everything. You. You can't change. Of course, it changes everything. Of course, Fields changes things versus Simeon. Yeah. You can't change your pick dependent on that though. No, I, I tried can. To, I tried to do that earlier in the year. When? The Kyler Colt McCoy game or whatever. One of those. Did we let you do that? Maybe it still probably failed. <laughs> All right, Cleveland Browns at the Houston Texans. Browns favored by seven. Of course, the big story here, Deshaun Watson coming back from his suspension and facing his former team. The NFL did this uh, extremely well. Yeah. Funny how I that mean, happens. facing his team. Right. I'm not commenting on how they handled anything else. No. But um, Watson's back. Um, can we just – let's get it out of the way again. We don't want to have to mention – we're not doing anybody any favors by mentioning Watson and prefacing every time we talk about him with, we don't like what he did off the field. We don't agree with, like, we, let's, let's just say that's understood. Yeah. Anything that happened off the field. We have talked previously. Disagree. Extensively about what we, what we think about Deshaun Watson, what he's alleged to have done, what the entire um, lawsuit situation is. It's, it's just not worth spending five minutes Talk, I, well, I guess you could argue it is, but I don't think it serves our listeners best to spend five minutes every time we mention Deshaun Watson bringing up the, the relitigating everything. Right? right. We're, we've talked about it. We've done a whole daily on it. We've discussed the topic extensively. Obviously, we're not fans of that entire situation. But now it's time to talk about Deshaun Watson, the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, because that's the situation the NFL has put everybody in. Yeah, and that's now our job because we talk about every game. We talk about the football part of the game. So um, we did have a daily on Watson the other day, what to expect from him coming back. We could rehash some of that stuff here, but um, it's been 700 days since he's played football. Will there be a rust factor? What's this going to look like with Watson going up against the worst team in the NFL? Yeah, I don't see how they're can't be a rust factor after 700 days of not playing um i don't know if preseason means anything but every preseason he plays he's bad so he was terrible the few snaps we saw him in preseason with cleveland he's also been bad every preseason he's played for houston now maybe does that does that mean that he needs preseason to shake off rust you know and just a few snaps here and there and then once he gets to the regular season you get the real deshaun watson or is that just a fluky random run of preseason or whatever but i do think we're gonna see probably a pretty ugly game from deshaun watson a quarterback while he works his way back into the flow of things um the thing for cleveland though is that it really shouldn't matter like it's houston yeah. houston stink miami were about to cover a, like a near 50 point spread by themselves until teron armstead went down like Cleveland should be able to run the ball at will. They should be able to pass the ball reasonably well, even without Deshaun Watson playing out of his mind. Okay, Cleveland's defense isn't good, but like Houston are starting a terrible quarterback, so it probably won't matter. One of the points I wanted to make when we were talking about the Bears was at the beginning of the season when teams are clearly rebuilding, we say, hey, you know, you're looking for guys that are going to be a part of the rebuild. Yeah. And I think the Bears feel good about, like you said, some offensive linemen and some of the obviously fields development and all that stuff. If you're a Texans fan, it's not much. It's really not much to feel good about. Um, 
draft pick wise, we haven't, you know, if, if Derek Stingley, who's banged up, like if he had at least shown his, you know, signs of brilliance or whatever it is, or Jalen Petrie or whatever it is, they're, they're early round picks. That's not happening. Uh, Kenyon Green, he's not playing well. Their other first, their first round guard that they probably picked a little bit higher than they should have. Just, yeah, he's playing terribly um, to the point where he's been benched, kind of. He's you don't it. have, you know, you have, you have Obo Okoronkwo, who you signed, but he's, He's on a one-year deal. Like you're just, you don't have these long-term pieces that are actually playing well in Houston. And hasn't like played, hasn't sort of taken advantage of a potential opportunity. Same thing with uh, Jonathan Grenard, who last season looked like a potential breakout candidate. Right, was grading incredibly well on limited snaps as a pass rusher. And it's like, well, let's let's see what he does this year with a, a bigger shot. Hasn't a hasn't had a bigger shot, and b when he's been on the field hasn't gotten any pressure. So like the only guys. Like, Jerry Hughes has had a rough start, but has actually started to get back in his groove as the season's gone on. Jerry Hughes like, 35 years old. <laughs> right. Like, and Laramie Tunsil is Damian grading. Pierce is your yeah, Laramie, shining light. Laramie Tunsil's doing really well on offense, but he's on a ton of money, and we knew that already. Yeah. Damian Pierce, yeah, looks fantastic, but we've already seen <laughs> if the offensive line gets wrecked, Damian Pierce has nowhere to go. Like, there's not... I mean, Nico Collins looks reasonable, but... I mean, that's the kind of thing you're doing is you're you're sort of stretching it as far as I mean, yeah, Nico Collins looks really Yeah. That's rough. I mean the other and then the other pieces are like Steven Nelson and Desmond King, both playing solid ball, right? They're they're good, right. solid veterans, which would be great as additions to a good football team. But right now they're just, you know, guys on a bad football team who happen to be be playing better than the youngsters. So it, it doesn't feel good in Houston because I don't think you've I don't think you've discovered a whole lot of who's going to be a part of the rebuild here. Um, Kyle Allen struggled in his two starts at quarterback. I I mentioned on the daily, I think the Browns are equipped to make life easy for Watson schematically. You know, trust the run, run a little bit of play action, run a simple scheme. Um, We also, I want to rehash an email that we got later, but there's an emailer who wants to uh, give credit to Kevin Stefanski in his little run as offensive coordinator slash head coach. And when you do look at some of the numbers, Baker, Makefield, Baker Mayfield's wit and without, as they would say in Philly, um, Kirk Cousins' wit and without. I mean, there's there's a little bit of a history there. Yeah. Jacoby Brissett, most recently, wit and without Kevin Stefanski. So Watson coming off of two years ago, an elite season. Are we actually going to see him take another step at some point once he uh, works the rust? Yeah, out? it's still a great situation. It's only one start, by the way, for Kyle Allen. Um, One start, sorry. It's still a great quarterbacking situation. And again, you're just itching to correct me. I know, right? Going into the season, it was like, this is the best situation Jacoby Brissett has had as a starter. Like, there's a world where you do get the better end of Jacoby Brissett and probably a better version than we've seen before. I didn't think it would be this stark. I didn't think he played this well. But the points still hold. Like, it is the best run game probably in the NFL. It's a great offensive line. They have enough weapons like we were concerned a little bit about their receiving core. Amari Cooper, when he shows up, is obviously huge for them. They have just enough. David Njoku's played pretty well. It's a good quarterback situation. It's a good system. It's a good team. It's a good scheme. It's obviously well coached. Um, the things that have held them back have been the defense collapsing and just like bad, not bad luck, but coming out on the wrong end of a couple of really close games that change the complexion of the season. All right, Browns by seven. Where are you going with this one? I'm going. I'm saying the Browns cover this thing. Uh, apparently, that means I have to say Houston covers, 
even though I think this will be a relatively comfortable win for Cleveland. Per the rules, yes. All right, Seattle Seahawks at the LA Rams. Seahawks favored by seven and a half. Aaron Donald hurt. Mm, not missing playing this game. for the first time. First game he's missed from injury since 2017. He's only missed two games in his NFL career. Wow. I mean, add that to the mix too. Not only is he incredible, and you know, PFF grades generally track your snap for snap production, where he is the man, he's the guy, but he's also been out there more snaps than anyone else, yes. and always plays. And he, you know, was well over a thousand snaps as an interior defensive lineman last week, last year, and he's out with an ankle injury. And attach one. it to the sort of use that as the data point of bigger guys are more durable, like Donald's flaw if you like, as a prospect, was he's 285 pounds, he's too small, can't hang at this level. Well, the 285-pound guy has missed two games in his NFL career due to injury, and over the course of his career has seen his snap count increase. Like, it's been scaling upwards as he goes throughout his career. And yet, he still does never get hurt, except this week where he's not playing. So the Rams' stars and scrubs approach is now down another star. Who's Alan- left? Ramsey? Ramsey and Wagner. Wagner, that's it. Matthew Stafford, is he going to be, he's doubtful. He's in the doubtful. Two stars and then scrubs. Uh, Sean McVay said Wednesday, it's, quote, safe to say, end quote, Stafford isn't in line to play Sunday against the Seahawks, per our friend Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic. Is is, uh, is McVay in the concussion protocol? Oh, he should be (laughs) after getting smacked in the mouth. I think at least to his defense, assuming he isn't, uh, he's of much lower risk of the second shot, I think, than a player would be. Imagine if he had another one. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you've got to ask some serious questions about the get-back coach. Yeah. So um, the Rams are depleted. They already were depleted. Offensive line. Oh, man, it's just a mess with yeah. the Rams. Is seven and a half enough <laughs> in this game? Seven and a half enough. Seattle has that knack, right? I mean, playing those close games. Just for a moment. Yeah, I'm doing this a lot this season because it's such a crazy year. But rewind to preseason and then imagine telling somebody that in a game between Seattle and the Rams, the Seahawks would have a dramatically better quarterback going into this game. Or just say Seattle's favored by seven and a half. I mean that too. But the idea that the strongest advantage they have in this game is at the quarterback position. Yeah. Geno Smith going up against Bryce Perkins is night and day one of the biggest quarterback mismatches of the week. That's nuts. Like Geno Smith is playing at a really high level consistently. Bryce Perkins is not, hasn't proven to be an NFL quarterback yet and is working behind the worst offensive line in the NFL without any receivers to throw to. Yeah. I mean, Donald did play last week against the Chiefs. The one thing that could, the, the Rams cracked down in the red zone last week against the Chiefs. They did a nice job keeping it close. They lost by eight by 16, right? They lost by two touchdowns plus against the Chiefs. This week, you know, the Rams defense hasn't been nearly as good this year as they were the last two years. You lose Donald, and your only hope offensively, though, is is getting, you know, Bryce Perkins with the run game a little bit. He made some nice throws at times last year, last week, but again, are you going to trust him to drop back more than 25 or 30 times? Probably not. It's one of those Rams have to play a perfect game behind a bad offensive line just, without weapons to throw to. Yeah. It's rough. They just don't have enough. It looks. It anything. really looks like week three of the preseason yeah. for the Rams, plus Jalen Ramsey. Right. All the guys that don't play because they don't risk anybody in the preseason because they want to keep everybody healthy. Well, didn't work. 
Nobody's healthy. So, Seattle going to play down to the competition here. They love to play their close games, but I just, I just think they're too good. I can't. I yeah. If you told August me, Seattle's going to be favored by uh, seven and a half against the Rams, and I'm actually going to take them to cover. Yeah, because the Rams have no shot. Man, and nothing. And you know, Geno Smith is the quarterback. And like, Geno Smith, they haven't the found you know a, yeah. a, an all pro from somewhere in a trade. Um, his grade went down down a little bit after last week. He had three turnover-worthy plays, but again, it's it's not of the. This was a disastrous game. It's uh, he made a lot of good plays. He made some bad plays. That's what's most impressive about Geno is the good. There's a lot more good in there than I think we ever yeah. saw. Um, even if there's some some duds for decisions and whatever in there, the good is really good for Geno Smith right now, mm-hmm. and I'm 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 banking on that one to cover the seven and a half. Yeah, same. All right. Uh, by the way, the, we talked a lot about the Rams' pass rush outside of Donald. Not existent. I oh, mean, man. Seahawks fans, they know Leonard Floyd. Like, he sacked Russell Wilson a ton in the whole thing. Seahawks fans think Leonard Williams, Leonard Floyd is great. Did I say Williams the first time? No. Floyd. Um, Floyd's still having a similarly average pass rushing season. Like, those are the types of guys that are going to need to step up here with the stars injured. And even Donald. I mean, he's not playing, so it's, it's irrelevant. But Donald is on track for, like, by far the lowest pressure uh, total of his career. Everyone who teased retirement should have just retired last offseason. That's what it is. <laughs> Donald, McVeigh, Brady, Rodgers, everybody it, should just retire. Isn't it always tough, though, when you win one? Because you always think you can repeat. If you win two, like Elway, right? Yeah. Elway got back-to-back Super Bowls at the end. It was like, all right, now I'm out. Oh, yeah, you know? back to back. But he here. couldn't walk away after the first one. Yeah. It's like, I've spent the last 15 years trying to get this. Yeah. Now I got it. And after now, you now win we... this, because like, remember when the Chiefs won their first Super Bowl, like nobody could even picture anyone else winning the Super Bowl for the next 10 right. years. Like Mahomes is going to win eight of the next nine, yeah. right? So you, you always have to. only see what you just saw. You always have to see if you can repeat, you know, because then you go down in, in history. It's, it's immortality. It's the 72 Dolphins thing again, right? Yeah, every freaking year we bring up the 72 Dolphins and the Champagne because they're the only teams to do it. All right, repeating doesn't quite put you on that plane, but it gets you close, you know? So you have to at least give it a shot. And then when you don't do it, now you can quit. Or if you had two, then you can quit because nobody cares about three. Like two is two already makes you transcendent. The third in a row, like even the lunatic people that think they can win everything don't really think they can go three-peat. Jordan would. Yeah, he would. He but would. He, he would. All right, you ready to wrap it up? Yeah, what do we got last? Denver Broncos. Great. At the Baltimore Ravens. Not only has Russell Wilson dropped the Broncos from primetime in Mahomes, he's also dropped to game 15 of 15 on our spreadsheet here that we're going to talk about in the game. Yeah. With Lamar on the other side. Yeah, well. It's impressive. Probably. So, okay. Baltimore's favored by eight as of right now. Lamar Jackson left practice yesterday with a quad injury. Mm. So... That's one of those we knew nothing. We we know nothing about this injury. It obviously happened at practice yesterday, and he left early. And it's a quad. And you know Lamar Jackson, if you don't know if you've heard, is very good at running with his legs. Yeah, and so, you need your legs to do that. You do need your legs. So don't know how significant this is, but uh, clearly, this could be an issue. Yes. What are you looking for in this one? Ugh. I mean, obviously, <laughs> disgusting. You know. Lamar playing would be nice. Um, 
Denver's defense. So Denver's defense is obviously really good. Yep. But it has been, I don't want to say trending in the wrong direction, but it's it's giving up a few more plays. And some of the guys that were playing out of their minds earlier in the season are not quite playing at the same degree. So like Baron Browning, for example, at one point I think was leading the NFL in pressure rate or pass rush win rate, one of the two, has had three consecutive pretty average games. Um, so the pass rush hasn't been what it used to be. Patrick Sertan, the second, has all of a sudden been given up a couple of reasonably big plays in recent weeks that he hasn't done ever before in his career. Um, so all of a sudden, the kind of creaks or the cracks are starting to appear in this Denver defense, which is still a really good unit, but I think it just shows why you can't have like a 2000 Ravens or an 85 Bears anymore because. You just can't go a whole season always shutting down everybody. It doesn't work anymore. The NFL offenses are too good. It's one mistake, and it's a touchdown, and then the, you know, the, the numbers sort of disappear a bit. So I think this is why, or one of the reasons why, the Russell Wilson thing is just building and building and building because all of a sudden, like it would be bad if the defense was still playing absolutely out of its mind, and but at least you'd be able to go into the meeting room and you're like, guys, we did great. Like everything was working. Now you've got that little needle of, and we screwed up with one play. Like one play, we made a mistake, and we lost the game. Like now it's like it's, it's just a little bit your fault as well. Like obviously in the greater scheme of things, it's way more the offense's fault than yours. But every week now you're in the meeting room and somebody's going, "Guy, you can't make this mistake." <laughs> you're like, "What? That one mistake? The offense is out here making a mistake every play." Yeah. So I think that's just making the whole situation even worse. Uh, Wilson has a 63.4 passing grade, by far the worst of his career. He's trending better. Three out of the last four weeks have been solid. There's a, a bad one in there against Tennessee. For whatever it's worth, Wilson throwing the ball a little better the last couple weeks. But again, it's the offense as a whole. And I, I really think we're looking at, we, when we talk about Brady in the box and we say, okay, it's, you know, Brady's not playing to his normal level, but everything around him is, is really bad. There's elements of truth with that with Wilson. Wilson's playing well below his level, but also it's not like they're doing anything else well offensively. They've had injuries. They've had offensive line issues. They've run the ball inconsistently in the whole deal. So everything's just bad offensively for the Broncos. Um, that's why I'm going to keep reiterating. I think end of the year, whether Nathaniel Hackett's still the coach or not, they're bringing somebody in that's had success with Russell Wilson. Yeah. Because the experiment of Wilson and Hackett and that offense not working. Do you anything you can do? Has to be, right? If you're stuck. You, they are stuck with Russell Wilson. And it's ironic because every offensive coordinator that's had success, as in like won games and put up good stats with Russell Wilson, has also been maligned. And they've said, move on to the next guy. Let Russ cook. Yeah. Daryl Bevel, you idiot. And Brian Schottenheimer, you idiot. What are you doing holding Russ down? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, they were, maybe they were dragging him up <laughs> the entire time. I don't know. But um, obviously, Lamar Jackson's injury is going to be a, a factor here. But if the Ravens get up 10, as they <laughs> tend to do, will the Broncos be able to that bridge that fa gap? Fascinating. The, right? the immovable object versus the irresistible force of Baltimore being up 10 and then Russell Wilson leading a comeback. Yeah. Which is more likely to succeed in that scenario? Kyle Hamilton might be back this week. He's questionable on the injury report. Um, Look, I think the Ravens are a better team. That's why they're favored by eight. I yeah, think they'll cover. Is. I think they'll cover the eight. So I, 
God, I hate Denver so much. Even if Tyler Huntley is in there, we've seen Tyler Huntley play some good ball. Tyler Huntley's not a bad quarterback, certainly not a bad backup. The thing about Denver is, as much as it's miserable and everybody hates watching it and it's ugly, it's not easy to blow them out and to cover a big number because their defense is so good. And as inept as the offense is, it does tend to at least score something, you know? So you're, you're in this realm now where you have a very narrow band of being able to cover a line like eight points. Um, I think Denver's going to make it ugly enough to cover eight. Ugly enough, huh? Yeah. Just right. enough. It's going to be miserable, but they'll cover. Any way to, uh, to go the opposite with me. Yeah. At no point will they look like winning the game, but they're going to cover eight. All right. Picks are in. This will be... Uh... This will be telling. If this is the week you turn it around and go like 13-2, and two, I'm going to I'm, so I'm feeling 13-2 and two this week. Not going to lie. So pissed I'm off. feeling it. Um, did you happen to hear the Patrick Mahomes, Matt Nagy story? Yes. So he's on, uh, on the Kelsey podcast there. Patrick Mahomes telling the story about how Matt Nagy told Mahomes the plays. He loved Mahomes so much that he gave him the plays that Andy Reid was going to break down in their pre-draft meeting yeah. the next day. So Mahomes aced the pre-draft meeting with the Chiefs to make to look good in front of Andy Reid and the brass to further their uh, their move to, to trade up to go get Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history. Yeah. Everybody who hates Matt Nagy and says, you don't run enough bootlegs, you're ruining Justin Fields. And he is the one who set up Mahomes and the Chiefs. I am just fascinated by this for a few reasons. It begs several follow-up questions <laughs> that we're never going to get answered. Number one, yeah. How much does this happen? Like yeah. How many times throughout the NFL where guys are brought in, quizzed on this stuff, is he prepped by like a dude who likes him in the process, right? Like how many other times is a coach or whoever, a scout, giving this guy a heads up and like this is that'll look good? Number two, can you imagine if he got it wrong? Like if, that, if Mahomes had stank, if, they, if Mahomes was a guy that he just loved, he was the toolsy quarterback, and then he, was, he just bombed. And it's like, we'll then say, it emerged that Matt Nagy had fed him, like, the prep and, like, rigged the system so that we traded up everything for this dude on your say-so. You're right. Like, did, did someone on John Fox's Chicago Bears, who drafted Trubisky at two yeah. overall, did someone do it for Trubisky? I love right. Trubisky so much. We're going to give him the answers to the test. You know, whoever was the OC at the time, was it? Um, or, you know, Jamarcus Russell with the Raiders, right? If you left him to his own devices, he wasn't going to watch the tape. But if you, like, told us, somebody yeah. prepped him before that, he had the greatest workout Crushed the whiteboard. And then they drafted number one overall. It's the worst, one of the worst draft picks in NFL history. Like, how many times has that happened? And how many times have they done it wrong? So people in the building are manipulating player draft stock. Yes. Just for their own, uh, you know whatever which again is like a just a phenomenal degree of hubris given everything we know about the draft you know it's not it's not the total lottery and crapshoot that people make it out to be but there's a lot of unknown and randomness to the point where i'm not sure you want to be doing like underhanded nefarious things to rig it so i'm very confident that this guy will be good am i confident am i so confident that i'm gonna like go behind everybody's back and essentially fix the process so that we take him i mean and mahomes is smart too because look andy reed and the chiefs have a history of making quarterbacks better we know that they were picking at number 27 mahomes was in turn feeding information to the chiefs 
that, hey, here are the teams that are going to come get me at 11, 12, 13. You better get to 10. So Mahomes was being trustworthy with them and saying the Browns want me. They're going to trade up or the Saints or whatever it might be. They're going to come get me. Come get me at 10. And here they are. Yeah, I think he said that if they let him get any further than 12, he was going to be drafted by somebody else. There's a lot of rumors that the Saints were coming up to 11. I saw people, I think it was Kevin Clark questioning that. Other people refuting it. I believe it, man. I could. The I could Saints see. were definitely rumored to be yeah. interested the Saints, in going up for the, the Saints think about the next season more than any other team in the league, but they're aggressive more than any other team in the league. So just an aggressive move, even with Drew Brees, right? Draft Patrick Mahomes and uh, make that transition. I yeah. could see the Saints making I mean, that move. Yeah, it's it makes sense. The Saints were 11. Houston picked 12, um, and they drafted Deshaun Watson. Right. Amazing. History changing there, huh? Yeah. I mean, that's right up there with uh, Bill Polian saying he had a first-round grade on Tom Brady. Of course. Right? I mean, what kind of idiot wouldn't? Yeah, obviously. I, of course I did. Should have taken him. I mean, if you didn't have a first-round grade on the greatest quarterback of all time, what kind of draft evaluator what are, are you? you? Scouts never miss. Except never that guy. All right, is that it today? Yeah, I think so. All right, great show. Hit that thumbs up on the way out if you don't mind. Appreciate everybody for tuning in here at... Uh, PFF Western and Southern Studio. Um, again, we'll be re- we'll be back here on Monday morning, recapping all of the Week 13 action. Keep sending us those uh, your Spotify Wrapped numbers. We're getting some ridiculous numbers sent in here. Yeah, I don't know how that guy got to that number. Was it 71,000 minutes? Yes. Apparently, 71,000 minutes is the uh, is the time to beat, which I, is I watching every show three times all the way through. I believe. Is it that, like, is it repeat listings of the same shows or is it somebody found us early in the year and then listened to everything we'd ever done? Oh, that's possible. But it that's, is funny because we do get numbers from like previous years that go up by the thousands. Right. Sometimes. It just, I find it quite difficult to believe that somebody would be that interested in the week three preview from 2018, you know? Never but maybe know. they are. I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's some talent evaluators. They want to see how we've grown. They want to hear our approach to things. Maybe that was an absolute banger of an episode. <laughs> maybe, I don't honestly Maybe remember. they're tracking our picks by hand, and they got to go back and listen. It's possible. If they, they want, are, it would be send us them in, please. Maybe they want to find our bad our, our bad takes and call us out. That's a lot of clip them. A lot of bad takes back there. Anyway, we appreciate everybody because uh, here's what the numbers have told us. Our listeners are dedicated. Um, and we really appreciate the the, de- the, uh, de- the dedication. Are you just reading out the Spotify wrapped slides? No. We should do that sometime. We should read what Spotify tells us about you. Yeah. Right? Because that sounded a lot like what it was. I just said you guys are dedicated. We knew that. We have those numbers. All right. That's it. We're out of here. Week 13 preview. Enjoy it. Enjoy the football. See you Monday morning. Thanks, everybody.